Welcome to the Ether. Today is Sunday, October 2nd, 2022. Today on the Ether, part one of a two part Chepe space, initially titled Love Causes Wars, an ending titled Europe and Stuff. Let's take a listen. Hey, hi. Hey, what's up? You wake up? What time is it for you? No, I didn't sleep. Like, it was, um, like I just had all this stuff on and. It's like daylight savings, so there's like birds in the background. It was like daylight savings, so like I slept in the day yesterday. Oh, cool. You're kind of like opposite day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I thought I'd just stay up all day so I sleep properly again. Because I have to be normal again from tomorrow, I think. Yeah, at about 2 a.m. It's a public like holiday. Close to, close to 2 a.m., I, I got a phone call because this, um, unfortunately, there was this young woman with breast cancer. And she suddenly, um, I don't know, she kind of arrested just randomly. And uh, then she wound up having some images of her head done. And there were lesions in the brain. And so I had to run to the hospital last night. And it was kind of a very weird situation. Actually, she had like no brainstem function. Like none of her reflexes were present and no obvious reason why. it's kind of strange, actually. Anyway, but uh, yeah, I got kind of busy with that last night dealing with that because I think the it was very. How un- is she? Did she like was, die? Like. Yeah, she's, she's pronounced um, brain death. Actually, she, it happened pretty suddenly. Like, mm, not a real clear understanding why. Like on her MRI and everything, very- to show it. What's that? Was she very young? That's terrible. About, about forty-four. Yeah, she has four kids. It was not a. It's not a good story. And her husband. That's one of my friend too. That's so crazy. Like they, she, they thought she was in remission, and then she went, and um, she she fell off. She was trying to get into a hot tub. She had just gone skiing, and she fell. And she went to the the doctor that night, and they found all breast cancer in her back, and she she died in within a week. It's wild. Like forty one. Yeah. Uh, like this. This situation was strange because usually when the brainstem is affected, you can see something on MRI that clearly shows destruction of that area. And the brainstem is what keeps um, you breathing. It's what keeps a lot of your base, like survival reflexes and such. Anyway, but yeah, it was a kind of a terrible thing. And I think her husband had previously died relatively early too. So now it's like the kids are all, I guess the older ones are like in their early 20s. And so the rest are, I guess, younger than that, but I guess they're semi-orphaned. Fortunately, I think she has some other, the kids have an uncle and some other folks, but I don't know how that's going to play out. Yeah, That's it's terribly bad. sad, wow. Yeah, so kind of like, anyway, it happens. You never know in life. Yeah, that's really sad. 
um i want i do really wonder what caused the brain lesions like suddenly like that i mean i mean do you have any theories Sophie, who i was like i mean i um, think it's just even the radiologist wasn't sure there was a bunch of like little patches around the brain um she actually had seizures the last couple of days so the theory was that maybe she had metastatic you know disease to her brain so um she went to she was like she was actually communicating yesterday like she wasn't that bad she had some seizures and um the thought was that maybe she had like brain mets right it's usually the typical situation but then on the imaging on the mri like there was a bunch of unusual sort of patches near the sort of like meningeal areas and it was not really clear cut what the actual thing is there because it's not it didn't have a classic like uh metastatic appearance either yeah so exactly what syndrome this was is not really clear but just the speed and like d just how quickly she developed brainstem failure out of the blue was very unusual so something very inflammatory happened like right in the like most critical area of the brain to keep you alive mm. anyway by the way i thought you said breast cancer before so if my yeah if my it was story was inappropriate oh, okay i'm like if my story no, was inappropriate I apologize. No, she had she had breast cancer it was just not um it was just not uh, clear that that's exactly what was happening in the brain also. Um, but that was the story. Yeah, it's, it's pretty sad. Doquan just left. Oh, you mean, you mean the fake Doquan? Oh, it was a fake that's one? That's not him. Yeah, that's not him. Uh, okay. Anyway. I love you guys. Yeah, I love everyone too. <laughs> I'm using lymph. Um, lymph? dredging patches do those work Sefi? what the hell is that a lymph what okay so <laughs> my armpits okay lately they felt like there's okay this happened when i was pregnant like it feels like it's like bigger or there's something swollen in there i love when like i ask the doctor like shit that you're not supposed to um when they're off duty but like it 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 feels like it's like a clogged lymph node under my armpit so I found these lymphatic dredging patches. <laughs> They're supposed to take out some of the, I don't know, whatever. Have you ever heard of it? No. I have, I have no idea what that's supposed to do. <laughs> it's supposed to, okay. Um, suitable anyway. for unhealthy people <laughs> with swelling, pain, and discomfort caused by lymph. And it sounds like some sort of... Lies. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what those. I'm gonna take a picture like, of it. Products and whatever. Who knows? Like Carrie, what was the product or like what? What is this like, about? Like, have you ever seen? Um, you know when they have these feet patches that are supposed to get toxins out of your feet? Have you ever oh, seen those? Yeah. So they have I them for lymph nodes now, and like you can put them under your armpits and like on your neck lymph nodes. And I was just gonna try it, see if it worked. I think um, in terms of lymph nodes and stuff like that, uh, we're much better. Like our body's best at regulating it, you know. Like I think, um, yeah, you take care of lymph nodes, we have to take care of all of us. And um, these patches, they usually like. What is the patch brand actually called? So I'll go through the ingredients and tell you what it is. Oh, but crazy. basically, your your lymphatics are well underneath your skin. Number one, there's a whole system separate from your red blood cell pathway which is your arteries and veins you have this lymphatic system which is kind of a um a separate sort of immune system uh like flow that includes your lymph nodes and this and that but 
I don't even know if like what you have swollen is a lymph node necessarily. If it is, well, number one, like, does it hurt or does it, is it non-painful? It's weird. It's like, now sometimes it's like sore, but I feel it because I did ask if it was like breast cancer a long time ago, but it's not. So if these things are not sore, then usually they're benign. I'm sorry. If they're sore, they're usually benign. If they're not, like if you just like feel a lump and you just like, then that's concerning. Um, And then, you know, sometimes they'll follow these things, but other times they'll just do a biopsy to make sure it's not some kind of like cancer problem. But yeah, I'm not aware of like a thing that just like makes (laughs) things go down. Now in the, in the armpit, you can actually get like little lumps from other things like, um, like hair follicles getting either infected or some um, like almost like an ingrown hair type of idea, you know, where you get like a little nodule in there. And a lot of those things can be benign. You just leave them alone. Um, You can technically have those kinds of things removed as well if they're really annoying. But um, I don't know that they're always lymph nodes necessarily. Um, A lot of times, yeah, some people like label these things as different things, but um, I don't know, hard to tell without seeing it. I just want to make a bunch of like products that don't work and then people buy them. People like me buy them. <laughs> there are a lot what, of those too. What is, what is the name of the patch? I'm like super curious to look this it's thing up. It's called a lymphatic dredging patch by Jay, Jay Suing. It's like, I'm, I'll, I'll, I'll put a, I'll put a picture in. Oh wait, how come I can't put a thing in the chat or whatever? <laughs> the way these products tend to work is, um, there'll be some sort of like medical terminology, like a lymphatic and, you know, a doctor may say something like, oh, you have this enlarged lymph node. And then the patient goes, huh, I wonder what that means. And then they'll like Google it and these products will show up and they'll usually, a lot of times the products tend to use like some kind of medical buzzword to get you to search for it. And then now you think it does something, but it may not do anything. Um, yeah, like if it's like one of these um, things that doesn't have a definite purpose, like it's never like proven to do whatever it says, it'll use words like might or maybe helps. Like it never says definitively that it does. Um, so if you look at the if you look at the the what do you call it? The um, if you look at the description of what it does, if it gives you a lot of like caveats, like maybes and, you know, not I'm FDA looking- approved and stuff like that, it means it's, it probably doesn't do anything. I'm looking at the um, actual product that you're talking about, and it's really hard to find the ingredients. Um, so what it is, is it's a sticker, and um, it's got some ginger and some uh, oil, vegetable oil, which isn't great. And then it's got some wormwood extract and some saffron. Um, I mean, all of those things like are kind of fine. Um, it's definitely got some other stuff because this isn't a complete list of ingredients. So that's probably like the, the, the best things in it and all the rest of it. It's probably just like vegetable oil or something. Um, I think in terms of like the lymph node stuff, I, I don't know about it. Um, but I think like anything, a lot of this, these websites are talking about like fat, fat removal with, this, with these anti-swelling stickers. I, I think you'd just be better off taking an aspirin. Um, or putting on one of those topical aspirin creams if you if you feel like you have some inflammation there or something because this yes yeah, the other the other weird happen. thing is so like when you Google things um, these brands usually or these types of products will occupy like the first ten pages of Google and the reason is because 
there's almost nothing like that's going to be published, say, for example, that prove these things don't work. So there is no evidence to show they don't work, but there's also none to show that they do. So the trick is to make sure that you just create these products and then stick them all over YouTube, Google, like every platform you could possibly imagine. So you'll find almost nothing that suggests like um, it doesn't work because like they, it'd be like if I said, if you go out and you get like some pine leaves and um, you use these things to, um, I don't know, like increase your brain power. And I create a bunch of articles on this. And like, why would there be an article denying this? Because it just makes no sense. So like, it's easy to spoof the um, search algorithms and all that shit, YouTube, whatever, and just make up whatever you want. So that's always a tricky thing with these weird products that, but it doesn't make any sense. Like, I don't know if it was very useful, we'd be using them all the time. (laughs) I was going to say, like, I was more curious to see if it was like, similar to a lidocaine patch with like actual medicine or if it was just like yeah like a bunch of like herbal stuff and it sounds like the ones that i found and then that specific one that you mentioned too are like mostly herbal like things or oils and like the the one thing i would say is like yeah if it ends up being like a sebaceous cyst or some sort of like hair follicle that's like blocked the last thing you want to do is like stick something on top of it because then that's just going to like make the problem worse um so yeah i don't know like i think a lot of these things like stuff you're saying are just like money grabs because like your lymphatic system is like basically like where your b cells go to multiply when like bad things enter your body and so like if you're like super sick or something that's why your lymph nodes get super swollen because your b cells are like basically multiplying at like a really rapid rate and like i i highly doubt like some herbal oil thing is about to like tell your b cells to calm down if it's if it's a lymph thing i mean to be fair um, if it works it works i think something like uh Sophie, you said like oh um if it worked then it would already be a thing by now and obviously i'm not supporting this patch this is a load of shit but like you know generally speaking there's a lot of things that that aren't great or that aren't optimal that we still use um well, I, I think the if, if it works, it works argument, you should think of it this way. So, like, if you look at most of the things we actually test, well over 99% of things don't do anything. So there's yeah. not, the odds are not in favor of an if it works, it works argument. Um, the odds are vastly more in favor that various lumps and things just disappear on their own. So therefore, like, it doesn't make sense to pay money for them necessarily. So yeah, but that's like medicine. Like the whole of medicine is a scam by that definition. No, that's like, not true. Yes, it is. It's, except you have to do so. The way we, last minute, even in intervening in cancer, like people do it too early. So, like, just give me an example. It's to just um, leave it. Everything. I never go to the doctor. Everything just goes away. Like I just have faith in God. You know, but at the point at which yeah, you're going to do something, just because you don't understand the mechanism, doesn't mean you shouldn't just give it a shot. That's my. That's my thought. Yeah, I mean, I. I I could argue that, but then there'd be no basis for like a scientific basis for any kind of medicine whatsoever. Then like, for example, like um, you would hope that if someone's going to sell you something that there is, there's proof that it works because snake oil is really easy to sell. So if like, if I wanted to get into the snake oil business, right, all I have to know is the right buzzwords and what to basically tell people. And I could sell all sorts of shit, right? Because like, What's the difference between just selling made up things that don't do anything and just making claims then, right? 
So yeah, and and to be clear, it's like I'm not saying herbal supplements don't work. Like I I'm not attacking like herbal approaches to treating certain things because like it's very well documented that like taking certain herbal supplements will directly affect like your vitals, for example, like your blood pressure or, or other things. But I think the important thing is like, like Sevi was saying, like placebo effect and the nocebo effect, which is basically like setting someone up to think something's not going to work, um, are very powerful, like extremely powerful. And, uh, so like, yeah, like if you want to say like medicine's a scam for that reason, like I can kind of understand what you're trying to say. But at the end of the day, it's like, we want to avoid people doing things that are actually going to cause net harm versus like no intervention at all. And I think that was the only point I was trying to bring up is like, it's going to do fuck all like this thing. I have a great, it's not going to do anything. I have a great story. (laughs) What's the point of stopping or not Like like I have a really good, I have some I have some cool stories that like might um, like provide some clarity on this. So for a long time, there was a, there was, I forget what it was. Was it St. John's wort or what was the one for prostate BPH? Avi, yep. you remember? St. John's one. wort, right? So they did a study like basically taking, all right, so they took a group of people and they gave them St. John's wort and they have a group, another group of people, placebo, to make it look exactly the same. And then they went and did like, flow studies on how well men urinated because basically the idea is like well if benign prosthetic hypertrophy which makes uh, it hard for men to pee um if this works it'd be awesome right like the like why not find the special magic chemical in there and then turn it into a pill and like i don't know you know get it in the proper concentration and make people's symptoms go away so there's no reason like that people wouldn't want these things to work so they did this study and they actually looked at like urine flow, like where you actually measure the actual flow rate between people that have taken it versus those that have taken placebo. And there's no effect whatsoever. So in other words, like it's like millions of people have been like claiming and buying this thing. And the interesting thing wasn't even that, like that's not necessarily surprising that it didn't have any effect. People just made this up. But the interesting thing was even after it was discovered, it had no effect whatsoever. Um, and it like the product still gets sold with the same concept of prostate health. So like even after you have like actual yeah. evidence, it's not useful. People the just don't change afterwards. People could have different. Like sometimes you have a situation where something will harm one group of people and then help another group of people who have the same condition. So like SSRIs, people say, oh, it's not as effective as like exercising. That is not true. Like. If you have like actual major depression, yeah, it's going to help you acutely more than exercising will. But it just depends on the situation and the person. Some people it actually makes them go insane and kill themselves. So you kind of have to yeah. Weigh and those are up, all you know, and like just way, because something comes effects. out to zero doesn't mean the thing doesn't work for some people. Yeah, side effects are also one of the things also measured in randomization. So you can only prove causality through randomization. It's just the way um, statistics works um, as far as these things. Another interesting one was there's a scam that's running. Um, like, I think I told this story before. Like, so, um, so they have these, there's people with emphysema and they've smoked a long time. The lungs are destroyed. And if you know how it feels like to have your lungs destroyed, it's miserable. It's like you're short of breath all the time. It feels really shitty. It feels like you're going to die every time you have to like walk from here to the bathroom, that kind of thing. It's, it's not fun. So obviously, these are people that are really desperate to do something. So what are they going to do? They're going to like say, well, the doctor gave me these inhalers, which, by the way, only have a mild effect on 
you know, emphysema, the lung is basically gone. Like, you know, it's like drugs don't do very much to replace that function. Right. So like there's this, um, so it's common that people are going to look up on the internet, um, what it is that these things kind of, you know, like, how can I do something? So obviously there's always someone selling you something on the internet. And, um, there was this little place called the, I think it was called the, I don't know, like the, the stem cell Institute or some bullshit. So what they did is they took the word stem cells because it's like a hot science topic. They tied that to emphysema and they made the claim that like, if you come to our Institute, like now we can fix, you know, or we can help you with uh, feeling better. And they'll use like vague words, like feeling better. And they'll, they char- they were charging like seven grand or eight grand for se- basically what it amounted to was centrifuging someone's blood which is basically just sticking it in a thing, spinning it and making the blood look kind of different because it just, when you separate out the layers and then they um, give this to people and, and it's not randomized or anything else. They just give it. And um, the patients will say, Oh, I felt kind of better after this. Right. Cause you have a very strong placebo effect when you spend eight grand on something that I hope it makes me feel better. It's almost like buying a, I don't know, like a, a, a I don't know, a painting for your room. Yeah. And that's a feel much better. Yeah. So it's, so the thing is like the, the, it doesn't do anything for the disease in the, in their mental state. It's like, do you feel better? But is it reasonable to charge $8,000 for this thing that costs, costs probably. That's what makes it work. Yeah. Yeah. You could argue that. What Um, what am I missing? You could argue that except that like, um, then that means that like, how are you going to, you're going to just basically run as many snake oil scams as possible to make, maybe make some people more and remember, by the way, it's not like $8,000 No, that's, that's insane. That's not but, what I said at all. But remember, $8,000 is not nothing. Like, what if, It should what be if legal if it's not funded by the state. Why not? Go ahead. Yeah, but, but imagine, like, how many things you could do at $8,000, though. That's the other thing. Not like, only that, you but, like, yeah. how many... So, Kate, okay, this is the one thing I want to understand, right? Is, like, you're talking about, like, if it works, it works. Which, to be clear, like, I don't think anyone is disagreeing with the fact that, like, if something works for someone, it doesn't hurt them, then, like, sure, it's your body, you're free to do what you like. But I think, like, when I'm saying or like, making, like, broad claims, I think, like, obviously, there's exceptions to the rule. Like, I think we, like, before we, like, continue with this conversation, like, we all have to accept the fact that, like, there will always be exceptions. But I think, like, when you're speaking in like broad terms about like general benefit to like the majority of people, um, it's important to also remember like the benefits must outweigh the potential harms and risks, right? But like, who who am I to say like people should just do whatever they want? Like, I don't think it's really like it should be legal to sell something. You should just have to say, oh, this hasn't been proven. It is that that it's not technically illegal because exactly. so they just away? they just simply claim. But if you look at the website um, for this place, it's like extraordinarily deceptive. Like the way that they play it out is almost like they kind of create these like pseudo science articles and it's bullshit. It's not selection if you fall for it. Like, I don't yeah, it sort of is. It. You, you could argue that. You could argue that. Like you can't get rid of these types of scams anyway. So why bother kind of idea? Yeah, I'm with you, you on that. So much you, by the way. Isn't... Oh, hi, Katie. But so much of that stuff isn't a scam. Like, I don't know. I used to think it all was, but now I. I, mm, I yeah. <laughs> Having done this a long time, I'd tell you that like a lot of it's scams. A lot of it. It's really in- impressive. In fact, if I wanted to really make more money, I would, it would make, make no sense for me to be a doctor, actually. Um, I could make may more money just scamming people. It's actually cheaper. 
Like, it's just like, it's amazing how when people are desperate, how much they're willing to spend on stupid shit. Like, it really is impressive. But anyway, I'm just, it's just a, um interesting side point. Like, yeah, Bruce. I love, is, I love how this is all from like, from like an armpit patch. Like, wow, we really, we really went down the rabbit hole, didn't we? Yeah, oh. standard stuff. You have your hand up. You're, you're about to throw a, a grenade here. I don't know if Bruce, that means he's away or he's actually <laughs> waiting to speak. I use the hand up to kind of like do a, uh, what do you call it? Like a, like an AFK type of thing. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, Carrie said, so I don't know if that, that answered your question. That's funny. It is funny because I had this thing in my hands because I was, um, yeah, so it didn't, I mean, it does answer my question, I guess. Doctors don't usually recommend stuff like this. It does feel kind of cool on my neck, but I did. I had something on my hand from, um, I think it was like typing and it wasn't carpal tunnel or anything, but it took me forever. They're like, oh no, it's fine. Blah, blah, blah. And then like, I'm like, yeah, but it still hurts. So I watched like a thousand videos on YouTube. And finally it was like, Asper cream is the only thing that will help this. And Asper cream really did help it. So it is kind of funny. Like you sometimes find little tricks that work better than going to like the first doctor's appointment where you get like the x-ray the second one where you like talk about just seems like there's a lot of stuff that you have to do and like but doctors can't say oh you just use some aspirin cream right because you guys want to be minor minor symptoms um are a bit random like that they're it's not really clear what if anything is useful for these things sometimes so yeah, it's 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 not even obvious what's actually wrong with someone sometimes, as opposed to not even like what to do about it. Right. Like because you can't suggest trying something unless you really believe in it, right? You're like, oh, try some aspirin cream. It's not like you can say that. So yeah, because right? like like if you went to a your your auto mechanic, right, and the auto mechanic says to you like, okay, yeah, you got some sort of like, you know, your 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 car is making a little noise, maybe. Um, uh or or i don't know who knows we're gonna have like this performance enhancing thing for your car and we're gonna sell you this object and you're not sure one way or the other and they're like yeah it's it's only five hundred dollars but we'll add this in there and um you know like it just doesn't really do anything it's like they just stick it under the hood or something like that um i, I think people would have a problem with that like i think um like there is such a thing as just like just straight scams too but the healthcare industry is sort of full of this sort of stuff because like symptoms are so nebulous that it's easy to claim a black box magic thing for almost anything, which is why like snake oil salesmen have been around since the dawn of time, essentially. Um, and um, over time, like as like technology has improved and whatever, um, and we've actually proven things work, it's been very, very helpful. But um, definitely like, um, like if, for example, HIV is a great example, like if we didn't do all of the big randomized control trials, we wouldn't have control of most people's HIV now. Um, like it would not have been like, let's just rub leaves on you or some shit. Like it would not have happened this way. Like there's nothing about that virus that you can just simply like, you know, hope for the best. And like someone just tells you, yeah, you'll be fine. Take this for your HIV. If it works, it works. Like you want something that actually works. You don't want to die of the thing. Right. So I think there's a role for like, like keeping the science moving forward and you'd like, making new stuff that actually works and um and that way like you you can credibly feel like i paid for something hopefully it does something because actually most of us feel really bad when like 
we say, oh, try this for this, and it turns out it does not work. It's actually quite annoying to doctors when we prescribe things that doesn't actually work. <laughs> and uh, that's true of a lot of things. It's like there's a lot of trial and error involved, unfortunately. Like I deal with asthma a lot as an example. And some people, like, for example, Monolucast, which is a tablet, works really, really well. And other people, it doesn't. But unfortunately, we don't have a lab test to tell you that, hey, this is going to work on this person, but not on that person. So it's a trial and error process to go one by one through the, some of these things to see which one is most effective. And unfortunately, there's no other way but trial and error to get there on some of them. But anyway, mm. yeah, just some thoughts. I wanted to say something, but Bruce has had his hand up for a long time. Um, Bruce, do you want to speak your truth? I think he's just away, so he has his hand up. Yeah, I was just going to say, um, yeah, I get what you're saying. Um, things need to be proven, um, and I agree. Like, for the most part, the only thing that I guess I was thinking when this conversation started was it's good not to disregard things that just because they aren't necessarily, you know, completely researched yet, because things have to start somewhere. And, um, you know, we need to, we need to find, we're like, we don't have the cures for everything. And, you know, there's a, there's a real abundance of all sorts of medicines yet to be discovered in nature. And um, obviously that means there's a real abundance of idiots who want to like call everything the cure, or like you said, and sell snake oil. But um, I don't know, you mentioned uh, St. John's wort, for example, and I personally wouldn't take it. I don't advocate, advocate it, whatever. Um, I remember doing loads of research into it because my friend was taking it and I was like, well, are you sure this isn't cringe? And um, there's like loads of crazy stuff about it. Like it has like, I don't know, like seven different uh, I compounds. I used to take it. Oh, right. Yeah, it's, it's, it's oh, actually, it? actually, it wasn't St. John's word. I apologize. It was Sal Palmetto. That was the one that people used to do for oh, BPH. Right. Wrong one. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, meant, I didn't mean St. John's word. Whatever. Oh yes, uh, but uh, I mean, I was just going to pop off about this anyway because I just thought it was interesting. But yeah, um, because it's like kind of estrogenic, but it's also it speeds up the metabolism of that pathway. But then it also it's got like this weird little like kind of uh, it's like a it's like a tetracycline antibiotic. Like it mirrors the effects of that, like in in it, and it's kind of cool. And um, there's just loads of other random stuff in it that, like, a lot of the herbal supplement industry is the way that they've processed it first of all is completely contaminated the things that they're giving it out for are wrong you know if something's good for you and is effective enough to be a treatment for a problem it probably shouldn't be available as a generic thing um because you know you don't give a random a random guy kidney bands you know what i mean um but i just yeah i just think there's a lot of this it's good not to disregard all of the different things to do with herbal supplements because as easy as they are to associate with like uh, stupid people they're not all stupid like there's a lot to it and there's a lot unfortunately a lot the u.s like i think the attorney general's office um said something like <laughs> something ridiculous like 70 to 80 percent of the supposed ingredients in a lot of supplements are actually just dirt like they just put filler in and just uh, it's been a real problem. So there, yeah, that's another weird problem, too, in the supplement industry, because it's unregulated. People just fuck with people, too. They claim something's in it. So it's not even a question mm -hmm. of like claiming that something does something. It's like they just stick a lot of dirt in there, like filler, literal filler dirt kind of material, like garden soil. Just very yeah, strange. Even the, um, even the things that are labeled, the, the, the ingredient lists, it's like. Most people will be best off not taking anything and just kind of eating a better diet, generally speaking. Um, you know, most supplements suck. 
majorly and like you'll you'll but it's just it's interesting to know if you actually do know what you're taking and if you know it is this a reputable place do, do they do purity tests do they test anything everyone's having a party right now i'm gonna put my hand up as well i was gonna say one one thing that um i kind of got sucked into and uh it like i don't know like as someone who's like studying medicine, I'm kind of like very interested in these things. And like, I like learning about them, but then I'm always kind of like, where's the evidence. Right. And like, there's this, uh, there's a supplement called not like true niogen. And it's basically sold as like an NAD supplement. And, um, I mean, they have studies that basically show that in like in people who are over the age, I think of like 50 um their nad levels like just naturally like drop over time as you're aging and so they're like automatically kind of creating this association of like oh if your nad levels drop that means like your energy levels drop and like maybe that's why we age and like i don't really think that, that i'm not like saying that's correct um but the idea was like okay let's see if we can create this supplement that actually like raises nad levels and then if we can then like you can do the study and like prove that it changes those levels. And then you can kind of sell this narrative. And frankly, I mean, like it works, it raises your NAD levels like consistently after taking it, I think like for a couple weeks, even a month, but like, I just would say, I just Googled it and this is just a glorified B vitamin. I just take B vitamins. You don't have to pay 40 pounds for this. This is literally, yeah. I mean, but like, that's my point, right? Is like they've patented the shit out of this thing. And they just upcharge like this no, crazy amount. On it. This is a pointless drug. Like you can literally just take like get but order niacinamide. It's cost two pounds of Amazon. Like yeah, I mean, I mean, like to be clear, like I'm not advocating for people to like go and like buy this thing. My my whole point is that like you can even have research studies that show that like the supplement quote unquote works, right? That it like does the thing that like everybody thinks it's supposed to do. But at the end of the day, like, but it doesn't have benefit. any like clinically measurable yeah, benefit. Exactly. Yeah. Like there's no real clinical benefit and like nobody knows, like, I mean, and we won't frankly until like a bunch of people take this thing and then all of a sudden they all end up being like 150 years old and they look amazing. Like, okay, cool. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's just a big marketing scheme basically. Yeah. I mean, the reason why most of the vitamins got labeled as vitamins was because they were proven kind of essential to prevent like major diseases i can't remember which one it is for b3 which is what this one is but it's uh uh i don't know like b3 is one of the most well-studied uh vitamins i think of all of them because it's like pretty swag for everything um but yeah i get your point i'm just there's (sighs) yeah there's a general kind of philosophy too that um if number is down add more and everything will be fine. Like, like there's this very superficial like idea that like number abnormal, make it go up, everything will be better. And that's a very common um, narrative that um, turned out actually in a lot of major studies that that narrative for a lot of different things is not actually true. Um, it would seem like common sense would dictate that that would be the case, but not always. Um, and that's been very difficult in medicine. Like common sense doesn't work. You have to actually study these things. And actually some things are weird that like, you think making number go up would be good, but actually the outcome was even more harmful. People actually did worse or they died sooner as a result of some things. So yeah, why there's, there's a lot of things like up? that. What's that? Yeah, number go up. <laughs> what, what? So, what are you saying? So um, it, yeah, like you know how like levels of things, like for example, blood counts, for example, in hospitals were once thought to be like something you always fix. Like let's say your blood count is hemoglobin is eight. 
that you should make it 12 because 12 is closer to normal. And lots and lots of studies were done to sort of look and see if that's actually true. It turns out not to be true. So now we don't usually transfuse people blood unless they're below seven because there's no additional benefit to like transfusion at those levels. And actually all you do is expose people to unnecessary blood, possible reactions, wasting money and all sorts of other stuff. And it didn't actually make any benefit to do that. And you also had to like get more blood donations to do that too, obviously, so that it put people out of their way. So yeah, it's uh, interesting. Like not every time that like a number is abnormal, like this level is low, that if you fix it, you're going to have an outcome benefit necessarily. Yeah. And the, the funny thing is, I feel like, I mean, I don't know, Seth, you can speak to this more because you obviously are like practicing, but like in some of the limited like clinical settings that I've worked in, you actually see a lot of physicians that are um, advocating to not do as many tests because then if you find a number, then the patient wants you to do something about it. And now you're kind of like, oh, shoot, like now we have this data and like, what are we going to do? And if the patient's fine and like they don't feel anything, then like, why would you treat a number? Like you treat the person. Yeah, it's, it's it, the way I look at it is this education takes an hour, whereas like doing a test and like prescribing something takes five minutes. So the problem is, is like you're always stuck with that problem that if you do exactly that, you find some number or whatever. And like now you have to explain it. Now it's just going to take a lot more time. And the reality is, is like there isn't enough time to teach everyone a medical degree every time you order something. So it's just not practical. This is a problem we see all the time, right, with those type of things. Today I slipped on a banana peel and I hit my head really badly and I've been bleeding out of my head this entire space so far. Um, Addy, Bruce and Kerry, because your hands are up, can you tell me what you think I should do? I think there's a crack in my skull. I don't have long left. Addy, she's about to die. Do something. Everyone wants me to die and everyone hates me. They're doing this on purpose now. Sefi, all right, I didn't want to ask you because I don't trust the medical establishment, but I've really got quite a... At my tether's end. What do you think I should do about the massive crack in my skull? Um, if Addy doesn't say something, you die. Okay. I'm holding her hostage here. Or I something. think if I oh, think, there she goes. Do you have any super glue? I think you should just sort of put some of that on. I don't have super glue, but I do have a bit of cat sick. Is that? <laughs> your monkey what about monkey tape monkey tape is good did you say you have your like cat vomit yeah that, yeah um, that should work monkey tape is but that sounds like an animal rights abuse Harry. i don't know why you didn't say that sort of thing <laughs> sorry what are we talking about here just so i can make it feel better zara has a Jenny. big crack in her head and she's bleeding out so unless you have monkey any suggestions tape. it's like duct tape Carrie makes tape out of monkeys, and I feel really sick. I can't believe she's an animal abuser. I don't know what to do. Jeremy, what do you think I should do about the whole Carrie making tape out of monkeys thing? Do you think we should, like, I don't know, like, kick her out of the space or, like, go to her house and save the monkeys or what? I learned how to murder from you. <laughs> Monkey tape, is, isn't that what you use to, like, tape two monkeys together? Like maybe tape their no. two hands together so they can dance through the forest together. Yes, exactly. You guys have never heard of monkey tape? Is that like a real? You guys really seriously? It's, like, a, it's like duct glue? tape, but like extra thick, and it's black. You're not talking about gorilla tape. Oh, maybe it's gorilla tape. Yeah, like the gorilla <laughs> glue brand tape, basically. 
Oh, yeah, I've never okay. heard of monkey tape before, if I'm being honest. <laughs> but I have maybe heard of like the gorilla glue, glue type tape. So, oh my god, maybe it's not is, called monkey tape. Well, but that is a monkey, so you're probably thinking of the right thing. But yeah, I've never heard of that. <laughs> I'm gonna check. I think I have some at home. Well, my lymph nodes feel amazing, though. That's good. If it makes you feel good, then just keep doing it because keep maybe doing it's, got it. it's got like a minty feel. That's cool. It's like a menthol vibe. It's like anti-inflammatory. You're feeling good. You should cover yourself in them. If, yes. if I came to your house, head to toe. Like some... My house is so messy right now. I'm like embarrassed. Like I was telling my daughter, there's like a motherhood wall after like, like I just can't do the dishes every day. And then on Friday, I stop. And then Sunday, it looks like someone murdered someone here. So I got to do the dishes. It's just How bad. old is she? Like 11? Yeah. yeah she, it's her not her work. fault. She could do it. I guess you're right. I just get tired. And I'm like, I can't. I cannot do the dishes another night in a row. I'm not doing it. So then I just do it mm. tomorrow. I think I would just smash the dishes every time I use them. Just throw them out the window at pedestrians. Live on the fifth story. My dad's like, why don't you buy a paper plate? He's like, always just like, doesn't want me to use like real stuff. I'm like, okay. That's so weird. Paper plates. I've never, pe no, people don't use paper plates if anything apart from um, like birthday parties or something. You guys don't have paper plates? Oh, you guys, oh yeah, you could, I know. We usually only use them for that kind of stuff too, but some people do use them. Hey, look, we got a Kadenian here. Take I wish that was my Armenian last suit. name. Tapeworm is just a hideous creature. A tapeworm? Yeah, that's... Um, mm. yeah, I've been doing a drawing of a tapeworm this whole time for my profile picture. Oh, you're working on a drawing? Yeah, it's going to be a tapeworm. Okay, cool. They look kind of weird, though, and it's freaking me out drawing it. Hey, level 10, what's up? Or demon, what are you up to today? Chilling. A bit hungover. I went out last night, had some pretty damn good dinner, and got too fucked up. I think you're always on that balcony of yours. You always have, like, a train going by or something. It's always really like a, it's like a rolling machinery in the background. There's no train going by right now. I'm just chilling. I, I smoke outside. I, I can't smoke inside. Is it raining Lunch. there? No. There's not Weird. even any wind for my wind chimes to... I think it's your mic or something. You have like almost like a white noise or something. All the time. It's weird. I might need to charge my headset, though. So, Addy, did you um, sleep off the the champagne and everything from last night? Um, I only slept until like eight in the morning and then I was just doing stuff all day. So really you, you were able to wake up at eight after um, having that much. Wow. Yeah. I think I fell asleep at like five maybe. And then, um, yeah, I don't know. I usually don't sleep that long after I drink. Yeah, me neither. Um, yeah, I have a, a big sense of missing out from last night. I was soundly asleep. 
apart from when I had that really weird, vivid dream that woke me up of sparrows like chipping at my brain. Um, but that was like five minutes into sleeping, I think. But yeah, it seems like um, there was a lot of um, heated debates, a lot of a lot of words being said that weren't meant. Um, a lot of lot of anger, uh, sexual anger. I don't know. How how are you feeling about it all, Steffi? Mm, I think it's fun because everyone has like their own like view on these things. I was just <laughs> like, um, yeah, it's, it's good to have like a lot of different viewpoints of the same thing. It's it's yeah. always interesting to see how like everyone has a different idea of like their reality or what they think is right or whatever. It's pretty cool. Yeah, so true. One of the most delightful things, if I say so myself. Addy, would you say that you felt feel that you were targeted um, in the happenings of last night? Um, maybe a little bit, but I mostly just find it funny because it was kind of like <laughs> I don't know why everyone cared so much. I think that that seemed to be to me that felt like more of the um, point of contention is that. I don't take Twitter super seriously, but I do think it's interesting kind of what Steffi said, you know, people having different, um, like views on it and stuff. And I think that it is interesting because the topic in general, like in the U S I don't think is something that's super contentious or anything, Mm -hmm. at least in my experience. Um, but I do know that like it's largely just common in the US. So I don't yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, well I hope everyone can be uh can be like happy like we're all surfing together in the sea, you know. Actually uh if you get into like nuance, um it's like you you'll find that everyone disagrees disagrees about almost everything to some degree. Like there's a certain level of um like a spectrum of like on a what you know let's say one to ten about like what particular like either social or really almost about anything like you'll find some level of contention almost in every subject um even among like people that like believe in the exact same thing you'll have like 10 people that have slightly different views on like how to accomplish something it's pretty fascinating watching that all play out yeah, um, we should pick a topic that we think we might all have different views on. So it needs to be something open and broad. Um, so, it would have, like, so the subject I put up at the top, the concept of love causes wars. Mm, I have this kind of idea that, like, all right, imagine you have a neighbor, um, and you have a neighborhood with, uh, like, a certain aesthetic like for example what you believe like everyone should keep their garden nice and pretty like maybe the weeds should be taken care of um people shouldn't like put certain garbage in their front yard or something right like uh, like in the u.s like there's this concept of like homeowners associations where like a group of homes will like have certain rules so that like one person doesn't make a dump out of the place and make it really unattractive um and then there's other places you go to that doesn't have that like you know some houses are really trim and proper and others are just you know hideous looking and 
falling apart or whatever, like, right? So if you, the moment you care, like what your neighbor's doing, so let's say you're the type of person that has a very nice yard and you spend money on this, you mow your lawn or whatever it is you do, you maintain a good garden and everything and make sure that like your front door is painted or whatever, like you maintain it. Um, you're much more likely, if you love your own home, to really be irritated by your neighbor if they don't take care of theirs because it reflects badly on your property, your property value, and everything else. So if you didn't give a shit about your own house and you didn't give a shit about what your neighbor did, there's no reason to fight with your neighbor over it. Mm, so the moment you care enough about this, it becomes a possible point of contention with your neighbor. And, That's called um, envy. It's what's that envy? Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's lots yeah. of different ways to look at envy, jealousy, or just simply um why aren't you doing your fair share or whatever the fuck, right? Like there's always something. But oh yeah. It's, it's there's a lot of that. Though. There's there's people that are just scratching Lamborghinis because they they can't afford one. It's the same with <laughs> wars, you know. Yeah. Or or like for example, let's say you're a religion, like you're you have this you have certain religion. And you feel like if you don't convert the other people, that they're going to go to hell. So your your love of these people means that you must convert them. Otherwise, like you, it's going to be bad for you. It's not good for uh, your neighbor. You actually believe they're going to hell. So therefore, you have to go convert them. So it's a weird, really weird thing. It's like I my, I have this like kind of concept that essentially it is practically in all practical purposes. Um, like uh caring about anything has the initial seeds of this like ultimately creating war whereas people that don't care about anything and just want to be left alone largely are probably less responsible for such a thing or anyway maybe i'm wrong who knows <laughs> maybe you guys can yeah. debate this is this just like the punishment shit like yeah it's true obviously like do you know what i'm talking about the what's that now? What's his name? Carl Schmidt. Like, like you go. The only enemy, like the only distinction in life, so I haven't slept like fifty billion hours. Like the only distinction is like friend and enemy, and like if you wouldn't, you don't actually give a fuck unless you would go to a war over something. It's complicated, but you should look right. it up. Yeah, it's like it's it's almost a prerequisite. To going to war in most situations, I guess you could have people that are literally just like their primary goal in life is to destroy things, which of course can lead to war just because. But I think a lot more of the time, it's just not simply some straight up sociopath just attacking people. Yeah, a lot of times, this people kind of, with really good intentions that attack people. Yeah, there's this kind of self adulation in people, which is a really nasty thing. You know, it's really narcissistic. No way. Sefi, though, do you think that, like, all of the wars that we've gone to for oil, do you think that's out of love? So I think that's just out of want for oil. Yeah, but you have to, like, love what you're going to do with oil to make it worthwhile to go get it, too. Right? So, like, you wouldn't do this unless you really, really believe your car culture or whatever it was was worth preserving. Or, like, mm. you know. So it's like your love of a specific or, way of or life. Or love of country is another one. Yeah, you, you, it always starts with the, the caring about something, not just love in general, but like just caring in general about something is kind of how I think about it. Like, um, uh, 
you know, you wouldn't even need have the need for oil if it wasn't for like all the inventions and neat things that you get that you can do with it after the fact. Because like nobody went to oil wars before like refined oil was available in, you know, when Pennsylvania sort of discovered this thing. <laughs> like, um, you know, people didn't go to uh, this was not a thing until after this became available as a useful tool. And then all of a sudden there was a reason to go to wars over it. But but it started with caring about like the production of things using this. And I don't know, it's, you know, it, it, it's, I guess maybe I'm overgeneralizing to some extent, but, but I think uh, like you see what I'm saying. Yeah. But I think that like, I think we do everything because we care about something. I think it's kind of an overgeneralization. Yeah. Um, I, I, but I, like, imagine a, a, a sort of a universe where no one give a shit about anything except themselves, like, you know, and there was wide open space and you didn't have to mess with somebody else. I guess the question is, would, would the same thing happen in that context? I guess it would it, with enough people and enough crowding, like resources or whatever, become something people care about when, especially when they're scarce, it increases the likelihood someone's going to really care about it and want it. And then all of a sudden reasons to get upset or claiming things are not fair or whatever i think we solved war right there it's interesting like um actually you know how um i, I found this to be an interesting um series of events so if you look at how like osama bin laden got his little uh, you know entourage together and decided to you know blow up the trade center and stuff and if you look at his like manifesto or whatever you know the idea was well these like imperialists are doing god knows what and you know, you know, like he had all these different reasons why it, he thought it was a good idea to blow up these buildings. Right. And um, if you look back, you say, wait a minute, um, a significant portion of the Middle East population like wouldn't even exist today if it wasn't for Petra Agro. Like 90 percent of the the population of the Middle East exploded like the current population beyond its current carrying capacity in the deserts and stuff. It happened because of Petro Agro, which is a weird like paradox. So on the one hand, it's like complaining about the people that it invented the need for oil. And then now you have all these countries that got rich off of that exact oil by selling it. And then they're now like what? Complaining about who exactly? Americans, white people, what? Like so it's a funny thing that like there is a cyclical paradox that if you go back far enough, um, you could find like there everyone has benefited each other in some way. Like, you know, like maybe I don't know, between uh, India and Arabs and stuff, like some mixture of zeros and algebra was like sort of discovered or however you want to like call that. And so like there's all sorts of ways like different people have been benefiting each other. In the short run, it looks like, oh, everyone went to war over oil. But it, realistically, many of those same countries are the ones that actually benefited from the discovery of oil in the first place, which is a fascinating Yeah, but those countries like, were like, you say that they've benefited from like the wealth from oil and stuff like that, the people that are benefiting from that aren't the people that were largely affected by the wars that had, you know, they're like, no, I don't well, know. I well my philosophy is like 90% of the Middle East wouldn't even be born today if it wasn't for oil. And that's verifiably like the Petro Agro revolution was entirely based on certain inventions that like, had they not occurred, like the population even wouldn't be what it is today. So yeah, but but you know how humans work, right? They they're not looking in the past. They are not looking into the past. They're just assessing the the present, 
and any future positive outcomes for them. And according to this setup, they just judge what they would want to do what's in their best interest. Yeah. yeah. If, if you go back far enough, like all saying, saying that, is, like, oh, well, the, you know, this population wouldn't exist if not for this. But the assumption there is that, like, life in itself is, is just like a net positive. So it's like, oh, well, you know, that's like yeah. a good thing that there's like this population growth. But it doesn't take into consideration the actual quality of life that many people there are leading. And I think that's sort of my issue is I don't think that it's out of love that we, you know, destroyed families and killed children in the Middle East. Yeah, but everyone's uh, everyone all over the world has destroyed families and killed children. Like literally well, no, 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 no civilization is actually mm, not like, to the degree that the West has. But mm, I don't know. Not necessarily. Like if you look at, say, for example, India uh, and Pakistan separation, which was actually led by locals for the most part, the amount of death that happened is incalculable. We're talking about 30 to 40 million people most likely died in that separation. And a lot of that was the people that they were trying to save that died. And that actually is a bigger number than like, say, for example, the Jewish Holocaust or a lot of other things we think about. Like, Yeah, but I'm so, talking about interventionism yeah, like, in the ethics of that. I, I don't think that we should be. Yeah. I, I, I'm just like, that is one thing where I'm like completely 100% will never be for that. Did you always feel that way though? Yep. I've always felt that way and I'm always going to feel that way. Also, um, the countries that benefited from oil the most, Sefi was saying, they aren't the same countries that, that, that have felt the effects of uh, the US like destruction in the Middle East. Saudi Arabia hasn't really had any particular like crazy conflicts that the US have caused. They mostly too are profiting off the wars that the US uh you know seed and it's a it's a great it's a great scheme. Like it's they're earning a lot of money off it, but it's not um it's not anything essential for life. I mean, you can say, Oh, well they wouldn't be alive not for the petrodollar, but it's like, well, yeah, but there's a million different ways that you can frame that same uh, idea. Yeah. I, I'm just saying, like, if you look back far enough, you can find that everyone's benefited everyone at some point. It's not just that everyone's only harmed everyone else. Um, I think there's a lot of things that, like, every group has contributed at some point or the other. In fact, like, a significant portion of the population of the world is probably all black at one point or the other, right? Like, and then yet we have, like, you know, kind of ridiculous kind of, like, you know, worries about like racism and stuff. Like, for example, Indians were kicked out um, of Uganda, as an example, by black people in Uganda, like, which is kind of weird, um, as an example of sort of like the types of things that have happened. So it's not like even things like racism were specific to one group or the other. Um, a, a lots of different sort of like atrocities have been committed by practically everyone. I think the thing that people get into is like th the scale of these things. So, um, but really like actually the, the like World War II, which was pretty, pretty wicked, um, was um, just the, the magnitude of the amount of death and destruction in that was just, um, was just is, cert is certainly breathtaking and certainly a much bigger war than anything perpetuated by, I don't know, Asians, Africans, or anybody else. Like just the sheer scale of that was just absolutely obnoxious and like you know the, before like the world war one world war two like the u.s in particular was fairly non-interventionist actually 
and they were dragged into this shit because of things like Pearl Harbor and whatever. So it wasn't as if like there wasn't an idea that like people shouldn't be involved with other people's shit. But what after World War One and Two, people then they were like, wait, what the fuck? Like if we sit around and wait, like we seem to get dragged into this shit anyway. And that's what like a lot of and then you get the delay of the destruction of that, too. So there's all the, there's always a yin and yang to these things. It's really weird. I mean, uh, I think I don't know. I think that it's. I guess there's a yin and yang to it, but it's also like, I, I mean, you can say, oh, well, we got dragged in in World War II. So, you know, we had to take an interventionalist stand like following that. I just don't think that that's true. If you look at the reasons for Vietnam, if you look at the reasons for the wars in the Middle East, I mean, there's you can make the debate that some of it was terrorism. Sure. But I mean, what was that in response to the terrorism that we saw, you know, on our like home soil and stuff like that? And then I think if I mean, you can look back as recently as like the Obama administration. I just don't think there's any justification that can be said for, well, we did this in the past for war criming children in the Middle East. I mean, there's just simply no justification for that. And I don't think you can say, well, yeah, like, but they're like, bad things have been done in the past by other groups. Like, so what if you're, we're going to say that we are like, you know, the world's like the world's superpower. I don't think we can act like, I don't think we can be killing children and saying, well, you know, that's just like the way that has to be done or X, Y, Z, you know, whatever. Yeah. And, just, and, and, and war like, though, children always die. It's like, there's not Yeah, even, but that's like, Seth, no do you see it. how that's such a strange thing to say? Like, well, yeah, they always die always anyway. Die. No, but all warriors, all warriors that go to war know that this is going to happen. And they're yeah, but Sethi, that's just like, but sure, children can die. We're talking about mass scale atrocities and just bombing villages with no care. And the difference is you can say children die in war all the time. We have the Geneva Convention now, like that shouldn't be happening. And it's, you can say, oh, children die in war all the time. But, and, you know, that's just, that's just a casualty of war whatever but the funny part is is that the u.s doesn't even respect some of the geneva conventions sometimes like with you know there must be intervention in the case of genocide well half the time you know the world's quote-unquote great superpowers don't even intervene when there is actual genocide because they'll have debates over oh well maybe this isn't actually a genocide occurring simply because the people that are you know the victims of the genocide aren't important to the US or they aren't important to the UK. They're not important to Germany, whatever. Oddly, it appears, like... <laughs> oddly it appears that genocide is the normal state of things, actually. It's like normal for it to happen. Like the, I think it was the, there was an entire. such like this. It's this very incredibly like. Yeah, but I know anthropologically, that, I know, well, anthropologically, there was I'm an saying, entire. I know you deal with death every day and stuff. Do you see how that's an incredibly cold hearted and like very yep. like cynical way of looking at it? Genocide yep. is the natural state of things. But there was I, an entire species of humans that were alongside um, the current human race that is thought to have been probably annihilated by one group. Like, like that literally like we only exist today only because we killed off one of our ancestors. Mm -hmm. Um, like anthropologically, it's super interesting how just crazy because something how is, like, it is anthropologically true doesn't mean that we haven't developed past the point of like having control over our natural state. I mean, that's that's what it means to be a human. That's I mean, why we, have we, so much but, development. we might Honestly, we haven't we might developed over that point now, obviously. but we're not very different from our ancestors, like, to be honest. You guys are being so like, it's kind of sick. Like, you're well, I mean, we talk can... about this. It's almost like, well, it's kind of like one of these things, like, 
if it's not that because I want a kumbaya world that it's going to happen, so then what? Like now, what we do? Well, right. Seth, so yeah, the real question of this comes down to whether you think, like, are we slaves to our impulses? Are we slaves to yes. history? Or all okay, evidence yeah. shows we're slaves to our impulses. All biological mm -hmm. evidence, all neurological evidence. Like, there's no evidence otherwise. Okay, Steffi. Then let me Much ask you a different question. Like, I would love to get into this since this is like what I studied. What do you, what do you think then separates us from animals if we are a complete slave, a hundred percent slave to our impulses? Um, actually, animals are a lot less um, generally destructive against their own kind compared to I us. Answer, but tell me, but answer, just answer the question that I asked yeah. you. If you think that we are slaves to our impulses, a hundred percent, what's the difference between us and animals then? The neocortex. The neocortex, exactly, which actually makes us considerably worse than animals in that respect. Like animals generally, like if you have a team of, let's say, elephants, right? Like the so odds if I that took elephants out your are going to kill each other much less, right? If I took out your neocortex, would you then be an animal? So you're not a person no, anymore to kill you? Yes. We okay, would behave yeah. more like yeah. animals without our cognitive functions. But if you think um, that, like, our, okay, so our neocortex is what separates us from animals, what do you think ultimately this cognition leads to? You don't think our cognition gives us any rationality over our impulses? I mean, I mean, let's be clear. It for sure does, right? Like, like Yeah, so you're not 100% as close to your impulses. Also, let's be clear that we have an amygdala, <sighs> and the amygdala is driven completely by fear and emotions, right? And it's, it's also very clear that humans cycle between using different parts of our brain. So there are definitely times where we are more rational and we're able to kind of like think in terms of like empathy and like doing the greater good and like all that kind of stuff. But then there's also like this other hindbrain that gets turned on in certain circumstances, whether it's like flight or fight responses or whatever, where you're kind of like, you know, thinking from maybe a place of like irrationality. Yeah, like for you example, see how that doesn't mean that we're a hundred percent a slave to our impulses. You're saying we cycle between the two. In certain cases, you know, we're acting on a fear response. Fine, I don't think the, most would disagree with that. But I don't think that means that we're a slave to our impulses. I just but don't when, agree with that. When we are going to use which faculty, though, is not necessarily like we don't tend to control the timing and the intensity of that. That's the problem. So even if you had a partial control. You can't really predict it um, into the future. Like, for example, like, all right, so you could probably, based on my personality, you could probably make some presuppositions. Like, say, for example, my child got kidnapped. What would I do about it? So, A, I'm probably not going to do nothing. B, if I found out who actually did it, there's a pretty good probability I'm going to go after them somehow, whether it's like me personally by, you know, just force, or I'm going to call a team of people to go after that or do something about it. But as far as like how upset I'm going to be at that moment, how irrational am I, am I going to be at that moment about it? Am I going to say, well, you know, maybe whoever kidnapped my kid has a bad lot in life. I'm going to forgive them and I'm going to let them have my child. That's probably not going to happen. So like, even in the midst of rationality and emotion, like there are such significant degrees of that. that's so extreme and unpredictable. You have no idea. Like, for example, there are definitely people that like, for example, something happens to their kid and they blame the entire like race of people that 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 faulted them. And they completely ignore rationality entirely and go on the rampage and just do crazy shit, too. 
So plenty of these like weird things happen and we see them happen all the time, like crimes of passion and all the stuff that we see like at work and stuff is just very, very common. So it's like, as long as those type of people are around, we don't really have the ability to function purely in a rational space. And that's assuming like rationality necessarily means less crime. Actually, a lot of the really like heavier, more damaging crimes that affect lots more people like white collar crimes or maybe even like mass murders and stuff, almost generally caused by high IQ people, not low IQ. Like, I don't know any people with Down syndromes that are like, you know, mass murderers or whatever, like almost like, you know, it's almost unheard of. So it's like intellect doesn't actually protect us from this problem. It actually makes it worse. Like the, the phrase I use is kind of like if you have a low IQ person like you might worry that they might hit you with a stick or something. And if you have a really high IQ person, you worry that they're going to create a nuclear bomb, right? Like, like the degree and severity of the damage from cognition is actually amazingly worse. Um, and the amount of damage you can do to people with like, like you said, machines of warfare all come from smart people. They don't really come from like idiots or something like people that build fighter planes and missiles and bombs or whatever. These are smart people building this stuff. Yeah. Which but is an interesting like thing. when you talk about like, you know, people that are committing murders and stuff like that. I also think there's a difference between psychopathy and sociopathy. I think that somebody that's a psychopath, that I would consider as not having control over their impulses. I wouldn't consider somebody that's a sociopath to not have control over their impulses. I see that as a clinical lack of empathy that leads them to not see, not have the same morality that a quote unquote normal person would have. And so they make those decisions that they choose, like, you know, just a propensity towards violence or whatever, because they lack that empathy, not because they don't have control over their impulses. They just have a different framework for looking at their actions and making decisions. So what about, I guess like the thing is, I think like what this makes me think of is just nuance in general, right? Because like you're saying like we're not 100% driven by our impulses. And like, frankly, I never I never said that. And I agree that we're not 100% driven by our impulses, but like it is a percentage. And I think the percentage is probably greater than 50 the majority of the time. Well, but and then it's like, like when you're looking at it from- Can I finish the thought that I had real quick? So yeah, like, sorry. The, the, the other thing, <laughs> fuck, now I like forgot. <laughs> the other thing that you were just mentioning right now um, made me think of, uh, what did you just say? Fuck sociopathy versus oh you were like you were like saying that like this person like some people are just like incapable of having empathy right so like i agree that like there's probably you know certain psychological disorders that like preclude people from feeling empathy for others but then if you think about like i don't know people who who do like like commit atrocities let's say um like their empathy maybe for people of like a specific race or like from a different country or like a specific religion is lacking but then like in their own circle of like family, friends, loved ones, like they, they might have empathy in those scenarios. Right. So like, it's just a really difficult, difficult thing to answer because of that degree of nuance. Well, I don't, I actually don't really think it's that difficult because if you look at empathy and you look at how empathy is formed, the whole concept of empathy is we have experiences. And so we're able to like, find common ground with people with similar experiences even if we're not experiencing those at that exact moment so it actually makes it psychologically makes sense that we have higher empathy for people that are more similar to us and that it might mm -hmm. frankly be impossible for us to have empathy for a group that we have never shared 
So, you know, experiences with or something like that. That's I'll, sort of the I'll nature of it. But then also, let, oh, let me finish now. Right. Let me finish now. And so, and then when you look at something like, I mean, yeah, the primary marker for, for a, a psychological illness like sociopathy is the lack of empathy. When you look at like cluster B personality disorders, empathy is one of the markers that they look at most specifically. Like if you're comparing NPD, like sociopathy and BPD, you're going to have different empathy markers for each of those and different, like that's one of the things that separates them. So I think that Mm -hmm. it is relevant. And then I also think that when you're talking about, do we have control over our impulses from, from a philosophical standpoint, the the degrees of it don't necessarily matter. It's more of a yes or no, do we have control over them? And if you don't have control over them, that's assuming, you know, 100%, you do not have control over any impulses. But if you're like looking at those debates, as they like the same debates have been being had for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. Yep. I think that if you do have control over, you know, impulses, even to some degree, you know, you have to take the stance of you do have control over them. That's just how I look at it. Yeah. And also, like, even from the, <clears throat> like, earlier, you guys said that the the thing that distinguishes us from animals and makes us conscious is just the cerebral cortex, right? But, like, even, you know, the, the highest part of the brain, like the cerebral cortex, it still participates in, like, the simplest seeming reflex, like, all of them. So, <clears throat> and, you know, I think... um like the thing about all of the nervous tissue is that even if like there's a major accident in the cerebral cortex there's an astounding amount of plasticity in that and as i think there was this american that demonstrated like loads of brains like frog and salamander brains you can remove them and put them in backwards and they'll still be fine like we aren't just one part of our brain like that's absurd to think about it completely disregards the entire fact that we're alive and the science that all of this idea is based off is the idea that we aren't even an organism basically it disregards the whole idea of the organism it thinks we're all separate moving parts and that like compartmentalization of the body is a source for so much dehumanized like just this idea that we're just you know spinning rocks think and we're defining our ideas and like, intelligence more i would have more empathy uh zara for like a serial killer if i believed that they're it was a problem that was simply related to impulse control. Uh, and it, and if they had any agency at all, it would be a good reason to destroy them. So like just the assumption that people have control is a good reason enough to destroy them, honestly, if you think about it this way, right? So look at, look at p- prisoners. So if you go to work at a prison, um, which I've done before, uh, like if you have a person who's a prison guard, right? Is the prison guard a bad person because they're locking up people that have committed perhaps heinous crimes? Are they, should they be um, considered interventionalists against these bad, supposedly bad people? Should we even have prisons at all? Should we just let all these folks just run wild, you know, to do whatever they feel like it, whether they have a psychiatric problem, a sociological problem, a psychological problem? Is there a reason to have like a legal system at all? And if so, like, would you be willing to be the one that locks those people up? Would you be willing to be the one that sits at the prison and keeps these people locked up? So it's a weird, like, set of problems where if you don't do anything, you have one set of problems. And if you do something, you have a different set of problems is how I look at it. I I don't think there's a 
straightforward answer to this. And it's just a, it's a, it's a thing with cognition. I think it goes back to the story. I always say like the Genesis story of Apple of the Apple of knowledge is a story that like once knowledge became possible to acquire by a sentient creature, all of these problems are just emergent properties that you can't really do anything about that. It's not, it's not just like, for example, if I had a really high empathy against about, let's say, a certain minority group that was being destroyed in some country. Is it more the empathetic choice to leave that alone? Or is it more the better empathetic choice to go to war to free these people? But that means that women and children are going to die in this process. I don't know the answer to that. Like, like, do you do nothing? Or do you do you do something? Um, Is always this like mysterious mystery. And like, either way, you're going to be accused of being heartless, like you're going to be accused of being heartless if you let children get kidnapped, for example, and you're going to be accused of being heartless if you run into some town to capture the, you know, kidnapped children and casualties occur. Like, cause I think in war, like there is never a perfect solution that results in everybody being happy. There just never is. It's the fog of war. It's, it's always a disaster, no matter how I look at it. That's how I kind of sort of see it. It's not so much that I'm heartless. I just think it's the nature of reality that we we're stuck in this position. Like that's kind of how I see it. Yeah, and I think like, uh, can I talk, or has someone got a response to that? Go for it, dude. Okay, cool. See, that's why we have rules of war. Uh, like, and I know it's that that weird thing that you know, how can you have rules to war? But like, I, I think yeah, people aren't going to be happy. But as long as you follow the conduct of war, which is something that the majority of the world has agreed on, not just the Western world, obviously China and everything like that, then it's it's justified. If you use this whole Ukraine Russia war. On Putin's side, he's trying to throw the rhetoric that they're basically Nazis, whereas they're at, whereas Russia have gone in and acted as Nazis, literally creating mass graves and stuff like that. Now, obviously, it's not Russia; it's Putin, and he's a big mobster, blah 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 blah. But he's not following the engagement of war, but the rules that the West and even Russia agreed to years and years and years ago. So, I I, I personally think that's that's the main cause. Now, no one likes war. But it's part of human nature, let's be realistic. War has probably saved the world more often than not with overpopulation, et cetera. And it's a horrible way of looking at it, but it's factual. And yeah, like, like, like you said, no one's going to be happy with it. I think the problem is that most of the Western world did not follow the rules of engagement in war, though, on a large scale. I mean, you can look back, there's, there's you know, been, there's been, at least from the U.S., that's what I know most, it's simply untrue that they're following any rules of engagement. I don't think the rules of war can be followed. It's not, I, it's not possible to win while following these rules. That, like, that's... I, I mean, it, like, unless you had bullets that can, like, turn corners and, like, hit a perfect target and everything, right? Like, it's So like, is it more important to win wars, or is it more important not to be bombing children and using weapons of mass destruction against innocent people because i personally think it's more important not to do the latter i think it's more important not to get involved in the first place i mean i, I think it's that. interesting because a lot of people that are anti-globalist are like interventionalists it doesn't make any fucking sense whatsoever everyone's a hypocrite but yeah. like i don't know i just think it's i think it's ridiculous and I don't think that, I think nobody has ever, everyone's too Machiavellian, I think, to follow the rules of engagement, but people will like to pretend, oh, well, we, it's fine to go to war because we have these rules of engagement and you need to choose if you're going to be honest with yourself, or I guess, you know, people can keep fooling themselves, but it's just simply untrue when we, 
when we bring up these things that any of it is being followed. You know, the interesting thing is like there's a there's this book. I think the like, issue you also have is the West versus the East at the minute. Uh, well, let's just say let's say it's capitalism versus communism. Like every for, for there to be rules, everyone would have to agree, right? Otherwise, you know, you'd have the Western world going, "We're not going to use nukes. We're not going to use chemical weapons." And then China just turn around and go, "Well, we didn't follow that," and drop a dirty bomb over New York or something like that. And like, you know, they can turn around and go, well, "We didn't agree to it." You've broken the world wars. Yeah, yeah. Well, fuck you, dude. Like, and that that's that's the main issue. I think communication it needs to be like you know, a, a dialogue needs to be established. But then again. Why would someone give someone the upper hand at war if someone's got an advanced chemical agent that could decimate a population in five minutes and, like, you know, destroy an army? Why wouldn't they use it to win the war quickly? Like, you know, their people aren't going to die then. And I think that becomes a catch-22 situation, doesn't it? Yeah, and I think, I don't know, in general, I think the dominant world power is always in a position to kind of, like... uh what is I with guess. the deep uh, conversation today? Anyway, like, come on, guys, can we not have something more <laughs> pleasant? Can you not hear me? I don't think you can hear me. Um, but yeah, anyways, I, I was going to say that, like, I think that the dominant kind of like world power is always yeah, in a position to like have to try and like. <laughs> anyway, so just saying, like there's there's always there's never an answer to this. And I I've like been in so many different arenas of situations where like I, like there's no good answer, like no matter whether you pick A or B, it's like, OK, it's shit. And like someone's going to suffer. And I have no choice. Like, I don't even know exactly objectively what the lower amount of suffering actually is, even if my goal was to, like, reduce suffering. I actually um, sort of think that yeah. objectively the lower amount of suffering would come from not getting involved in wars that truly do, like, when there's no risk to the homeland. I think not getting involved in wars and war criming a bunch of kids actually is the option where less people suffer i don't know mahatma gandhi's almost uniformly responsible for the basically the destroy the the indirect like unintended consequences of separation and again somewhere between 20 to 40 million people died women children and everyone in between and a lot of the reasons why that happened it's complicated but the point is like some of the reasons why people think there's a better outcome because of let's say uh, either a more passive or otherwise approach turns out to be necessarily not as true as you think it's going to be. It's amazing how like how unintentional some of the most worst scenarios on this planet ever, like how intention, unintentional they were. What do you think, Steffi? How about this? What do you think would be the, as you say, like these unintended consequences had we not gone in <laughs> to certain countries only for oil? What do you think would have been the consequences to our homeland do you think there would have been actual threats to our homeland if we hadn't done that? Not sure. No idea. Like I can't, I can't play out a scenario that hasn't occurred, right? The number of permutations are infinite. Yeah, I mean, but there are no political idea. scientists that have done tons of research on this. But the, the, the future's innately unknowable, right? Can I speculate on that, Adi, to actually answer the question? I personally think if the U.S. didn't start, and I agree, they shouldn't have gone in. But the U.S. is in a unique position where no one will really fuck with it because they keep doing this dumb shit and they're like they're known as either the bully or the peacekeeper of the world. Them going into yeah you know, all these countries, well, Afghanistan for the oil, and you know offering all these like random uh, security contracts to these like Middle Eastern countries to you know obviously destabilize etc. 
no one's going to fucking attack you guys because you keep doing that and because you keep showing you are a force for, well, you're just a force. If you guys just took the Twin Towers attack and went, oh, it won't happen again, it's fine, you would have likely experienced much more terrorism because now you've brought, obviously, um, uh, we don't know what the Twin Towers actually was, right? We don't know if it was an inside job, an outside job or what, but let, let, let's say it was an outside job. They've, they've you know, terrorists have hijacked these planes, they've, they've destroyed you guys as towers and like, caused so much chaos. If they knew they could get away with it again, they're likely going to do it again and again and again and again and again and again. And that's what happens when you don't like, you know, stand up to it. And that, that's my opinion on it. And that's I mean, why you. I hate like, to say this. I really do, because I think that 9-11 was just like a travesty and the loss of life was like on American soil was it was horrible. But. I mean, from their their perspective, what was nine eleven a response to? It didn't come out of nowhere. It's like when, US when, sticking its nose where it doesn't belong. That's the whole when, fucking problem. Also creating generation after generation after generation of people whose relatives have been killed by US imperialists. Do they really I think, think that any there's gonna be any response to that? Do they think they can bomb it away? You can't it doesn't work like that, you know? The question if wasn't the, if it were the US, like if the tables were turned and people were doing this to the US, the response would be a fucking million and a half times more worse than nine eleven ever was. And it's awful to say, but it's not surprising that nine eleven happened and I don't think you can if you look at it No, like, I'm surprised I'm actually quite surprised that we don't have a mass casualty event every other week, actually. Like if you if you've been around the world enough and you know people. Like, it's actually quite shocking that it doesn't happen way more often. Like, I'm not talking about just in the U.S. I'm talking about everywhere. Like, it's, a, it's amazing the world works as well as it does. So that's my optimism side of things. Like, the, the sheer uh, lack of mega events is actually really, really promising in the grand scheme of things, if, if that's kind of my take on that. Like, it impresses me every single day that something really, really bad doesn't happen, just given how many attack vectors there actually are. They're limitless like ways to cause mass casualty events, just crazy amounts. Like this is sort of like what I do, like prepare for, for a living and uh, deal with things like worry about those kinds of things. And it's like, um, it just really, really impresses me how constrained uh, the human race actually is. That's my sort of optimistic side of this. Well, as one hand, you could say, well, there are wars and blah, blah, blah. Like the thing is, if you look at the last 5,000 years, like most of the human race was either in agriculture or in conscripted military for almost every major civilization that there ever has been. And the, the uh, way less proportion of the population of Earth today is conscript, conscripted military, um, or for that matter, uh, farmers, uh, especially in the Western world, compared to what it was back then. So either that's a good thing or a bad thing. The scale of the wars sort of got bigger. But the number of total number of people dying per capita has dropped like a rock. Like it's like the number of people dying in wars compared to how many billions of people we have is really, really small. So that would be my optimistic like version of this worldview if there ever was one. I know the media likes to make it sound like everyone's dying all the time. But the reality is like if you look at 200 years ago, like most people lived in quite a bit more misery than we do now. Like it's not even close. Like not even close. Like every single, like every random state and village in every country all over the world would be fighting with each other about fucking everything. Like literally everything. Um, and that's not excluding any particular continent or sort of worldview. 
Like people were just fighting about stupid shit 24 seven. It was almost obnoxious. Like you just look historically. So I, I, I think that's my optimistic version is we're actually way more controlled than we think we are. I lately. think so that this, I, I just think I just disagree with sort of this relativist mindset of, well, you know, this happened then, and then this has happened then. And so, you know, the, the net hole is like, maybe it's actually positive. I think that there is objective morality and ethics. That's something I pretty strongly believe in. And so I think that when we try to say, well, you know, well, but what about this when this happened one time and then this happened another time and then, well, we're doing this, but, you know, there's been death and destruction all the time, constantly, whatever. And maybe on the net, you know, the like death per capita has gotten lower. I just, I don't think that that's not the question for me. The question is- But how else would you measure it? Utopia? Like there would have to be perfection. No, I I strongly believe I wouldn't have gotten (laughs) a degree in philosophy if I didn't strongly believe that there are, that you can measure and have guidelines for morality and ethics, like objective guidelines, and that there can be objective truth to it. I strongly believe that. We do okay. have Go ahead. Go ahead, man. Adi, let me present a problem for you. You have a you have four pregnant women, and this is you said you got a philosophy degree, so you shouldn't understand the trolley trolley argument. You've got two children on one side of the tracks, you've got four pregnant women on the other. All yeah. have this limited potential. Who are you picking to die from this, you know, the trolley problem? Two children. Why the two children? They have a limited potential. Like, you know, the same as, same as the four pregnant women. Like, you know, you, because there's uh, four pregnant women. The trolley problem has never been a problem for me. This has never been something that I have issue with. Uh-huh. How was that moral? How do you know the children being born aren't going to cause some sort of like chaotic like future? Like, yeah, do, do, how do you know the two children? Because in the, same, in, this, in the same way that I am pro-choice, I believe in looking at life as it currently exists. And I do believe that you can, that I believe all life has equal weight. Thus, I would objectively have to choose four people over two people. That because so said, believe, yeah, that's how I look at it. That's, those are you my believe thoughts in, on that. An evil action can present, you know, if, if an evil action presents the world's greatest like morality good. So, for example, like bombing um, Japan and all that sort of shit when that happened back in World War Two, which effectively stopped the war. Y- you agree with doing an evil act for the greater good? Mm, I think that I think that it's like the, oversimplifying, the oversimplifying the argument from the four pregnant women to. I mean, there are different. I don't think that the trolley problem is something you can't just apply the trolley problem to every situation but that why? would be a great because that would be a great oversight i mean it at its core you can you can come to debates on like yes how do i view life and how do i view the objectivity of life and the value of life is it you know is life weighted equally but i think when you come into problems of of war with weapons of of mass destruction I mean, you can say, okay, this X number of people died. It's you can't really speculate on how many people would have died if the war had continued. But some numbers you do have are what were the effects of the nuclear bomb on generations of people afterwards. And so it does convolute the argument and it does make it more complex. And it's a gross oversimplification to say, well, yeah, we can take the trolley problem, the sip, the simplest. <laughs> philosophical, you know. But on the other hand, ever. the person with the finger on the button has to choose one or the other: do nothing or do something. There's not really a 
yeah, uh, and I just, said, I just said what I would do. I would like it. I mean, the case of the, the what he's with the trolley problem, it's assuming what that it's it's headed towards the pregnant women, I suppose. Yeah, I would intervene and, and, and choose to divert it to the children, the two children. But yeah, it's it's the trolley problem is an, is a great place to start. With philosophy, I mean, any philosophy, the class that you take, the trolley problems, like any intro philosophy class, the trolley problems probably going to be the first thing you talk about on day one, you know, during syllabus week. But it's not it's just a jumping off point to understand greater philosophical com like uh, uh, theories yeah. and stuff like that. Although, it's although not... currently in the AI tech world, in, in like, for example, self-driving cars, Tesla, the trolley problem actually is an actual problem. And how to program these decisions to be, uh, you know, so for example, if it's going to kill this person versus that pers person, how should the like algorithm decide which one it's going to be? Is there sort of like a method or do we allow it to be random? If it's random, that creates one set of consequence. If it's non-random and a decision's made, that means like the consensus has to be reached as far as the human population deciding which of these two people would die if the trolley problem were to occur. So it's actually uh, something that's being really, really heavily um, talked about um, in the AI edge case training programs of like not only drone programs, but also in simple things like self-driving cars. So it's, it's fascinating how it's coming to an actual problem, not just a philosophical one, but health, go ahead. Health um, maybe there. Sorry to yeah. we kept breaking you. <laughs> hey there, no problem. Um, I just want to say uh, you were talking about how you know um, there's this thing about casualties, the side effect casualties of war. You know, you kill children or you let people get killed, whatever, etc. I just want to say, uh, you know, uh, as a concept, uh, the political is something that is worth dying for and worth killing for. And uh, if you think about it, there's an enemy and there's a friend. There's people who are with you uh, and people who are n not with you. Uh, the, the people you call one of us and the people you don't call one of us. And uh, starting from here, I mean, it's obvious that you would do anything for people who are from your side and you would do anything against people who aren't. And if you think about it, war isn't some kind of game. It's not a video game. It's an actual thing. It's about life and death. So having rules, having, uh, you know, rules of engagement, etc. this is just silly. This is the kind of thing, you know, that's suitable for role playing, I think. I think it's about, you know, there's an enemy and it has to be destroyed or it will destroy you. So anything goes. Rules are for, you know, the kind of people I think Americans call it. I don't know. Uh, I think Americans call it LARPing, you know, L-A-R-P-ing. I think r the rules of war are for the kind of people who don't get involved, uh, just sit back and, you know, think, oh, yeah, I'm doing war. It's serious. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, and I, and I agree with Addy, uh, Mrs. Addy, that uh, there is an objective uh, morality. Yes, there is objective morality. Uh, you can do anything to the other guy and it's not a problem. Uh, and that's it. That's objective. In fact, I mean, like, that's in fact, uh, the most objective morality there is that anything goes. 
and as for the more recent topic about uh, you guys were talking about the trolley problem, uh, I think it's nonsense. I think it's something Redditors enjoy and nothing more. I don't think it's serious at all. I mean, it was leading on to another point that uh, if you want to intervene in another country, uh, so that, that was the point I was trying to lead on to. But, you know, how Adi always tells people off for interrupting her. She just jumps over yeah. the mic and just shut me up like, you know, she always does. You asked me for my opinion and I gave it. It's not my fault. The conversation moved on after I spoke about it. I'm winding I you up. Morality and it's that we should skin chugger and put his skin on us and then... We should use as a meat to feed the homeless. That's what I believe. Hey, That's what I want to do. There's nicer ways to get inside my skin. Thank you very much. I... Oh, like worms, like tipping tapeworms under your skin until they all burst out and there's chugger everywhere, all over the walls. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. Fuck it. I mean, it's not nicer, but, you know, at least I'll have a great physique while the tapeworms eat all the fat. So fuck it. Well, let's I wouldn't do it. go that far. Ooh, you cheeky bitch. See, I objectively think that you just post it cringe. You should get out of here, you Redditor. Stop, stop posting Reddit anyway. You're just talking Reddit all the time. Can't so help I mean, it. I, red, red's the favourite colour, so, you know, Reddit is probably the best news source. That's mm, the best way that to do it. That is true. That's true. I bet you have a little tally, and every time someone reacts to you while you're talking, you write, you, you tick the tally. <laughs> so, so then when it, you go it, to bed. <laughs> it's a mental tally. I'm up to about 1,015 at the minute, so it, it's brilliant. No, I think you're more on like 10. <laughs> No, 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 I get a lot of reactions, sadly. Yeah, it's it's also interesting how how wide people's definition of um, like an acceptable morality is too. Like, um, there is a um, the the range is quite remarkable. Like, whose version um, is actually the one you're going to follow at any given moment is that very tricky thing. Like, it's the same problem. Like with the like I don't know the drone strike type problem. Let's say you have a known. I don't know, I mean, name it a terrorist or some criminal or some serial killer. And your choice is to sort of like knock this guy out with some sort of missile that could cause, um, pro you know, like collateral damage or let this person do whatever they uh, feel like because you're, there's no way to get to him without causing some death and destruction on the side. Do you intervene at all or just leave everything as it is? And um, it's, it's, it is. and then also assumes like, that that it also assumes that that person will be like contained um if you leave them alone like they'll be fine um they they won't cause as much harm as you think and stuff like that and that's always hard to know ahead of time so well the whole the whole point of moral objectivism from an actual academic standpoint is that we can't say like yes or no necessarily what moral objectivism is it's something that is there's an a moral objectivity that's found in nature. That's the concept of moral objectivism. And if people say, well, you know, we can define it or like, well, but in one way it's here, well, then then you're just talking about subjectivism and you're talking about relativism, which is fine. Most people, I think, are moral rel relativists, but the idea of moral objectivism is something that is found in nature. Let me give you a little, I'm going to, kind of see what you what you think about this so here's a common medical problem right it's the first do no harm problem um so it's this idea that like your first tenet should be not to harm a patient you should try to benefit them uh, primarily right now there's a lot of gray area to this um so let me give you an ex example of a situation that emerges fairly frequently 
So let's say someone has a pulmonary embolism, which is a clot in the lungs, and you have uh, the option to start a blood thinner medication. But you know, historically, they have had some issues where they might have, you know, gastric bleeding from an ulcer or something like that. Um, and they've had bleeding in the past, but you know you have this thing that's going to kill them right now. Um, do you uh, treat the thing you have now that um, that you know is going to kill someone with some probability of bleeding? Or do you um, not do it? Or does the patient decide not to do it because there is a possibility of bleeding? And some people just are completely deathly afraid of the idea of like bleeding to death. And another person is sort of afraid of dying of, you know, I don't know, the embolism and shortness of breath and the, the implications of that. Um, and then you as a, a physician are just sort of like oftentimes stuck in between this. Um, what is the actual correct choice? And what we find is like in many, many things, especially in these kinds of scenarios, there actually is no right answer. So what I end up doing uh, myself and just like what I would do is oftentimes I go, I tell people, okay, if we did this, these are the ways things could go wrong. If we do this, these are the way things can go wrong. Which of these do you want to, to pick? And really, all, at the end of the day, it's like whichever one uh, tends to make them feel better because there's no objective knowledge that if we did that, like there's not a study that says if we did this versus if we did this in an N of one that I know for sure I'm going to cause more harm or more good. There's just no way to know this. And so you're always in a relativistic position. Um, both as a person, as a patient who's trying to decide what to do, or as the doc that's trying to figure out what to do. But like in that example, would you like treat the person for the lung clot because that's lethal, or worry about like uh, and but then uh, concede that if there's bleeding that could happen, they could die of that too, or do you not do it at all because it's a first do no harm implies that like someone who has a known problem that could cause them to bleed they could bleed if you intervene, right? It's the intervention versus leaving it alone problem right there. You see what I'm saying? Like, do you, any thoughts on that, Addy? Like, what we, what, how, how you would pick to go about this? Yeah, I would explain the risks to whoever's making the decision, either the patient or whoever's, like, in, in charge of their medical decisions and then leave it up to them. And I would just explain it to the extent that I'm able to. Wouldn't really be a decision so up to example, me unless I'm in surgery. So, for example, this exact example, you have the lung clot right now, and I just explained this to you in the way that I just did. And I tell you, I don't really know which way is worse, right? I don't have no, I don't, I can't see the future. I have no idea. Intervention is one tactic. So some patients tend to want to intervene no matter what. And other people, if given the choice of intervention versus not, they choose not to. But neither of them are based in necessarily an objective certainty of any kind. It's whichever one just makes them feel better, like in their mind. Well, yeah, I think that this is like kind of a gross misunderstanding of what moral objectivism is. Like this isn't even really related, but I would choose the intervention. I mean, this is like moral objectivism goes to the society as a whole, not these individual circumstances where ultimately it's the person who's being treated deciding. I'll give you another example that's a little bit different. Suicidal person comes in. It happens all the time, by the way. This happens like literally like every other day. Suicidal com person comes in. They are overdosing on their meds, right? They're on different medications they might have. They have high blood pressure. They might have diabetes. They might have important meds that they need to take. Do you as the physician, uh, as you're sort of like, you know, dealing with the post situation after this overdose, do you resume a blood pressure medicine and insulin and other medications that 
you know that this person has already shown a demonstrated ability to try to kill themselves with? Or do you like presume that like, and you presume that that's going to be the reason why they're going to die. So first, do no harm implies not giving them these things. Or do you think, well, here's the thing. Do you not treat people with mental illness with their medical problems? Cause they could possibly kill themselves with them. Like nearly I, <laughs> you put them in an, you put them in inpatient. That's what you do. You treat them and put them in inpatient as somebody had that has, quite literally gone through that, that's the correct course of action. And you don't stop treating somebody just because they're so, suicidal, you treat the suicidality. So whose responsibility is it if, let's say, for example, this person leaves the hospital and two weeks from now decides to overdose on the blood pressure meds that you gave them and now they die. So family comes to you and say, hey, doc, this person was suicidal and you treated their high blood pressure. You, you should have let their blood pressure ride it would have been better not to have done this. You see what I'm saying? Like, it's like, no, there's no I, scenario I, where you can't be blamed. There's no, just no I, because if you, I, I just disagree with that. I would think that it, it was, a, I, I would say that you, if you didn't send them to inpatient after they came in and were suicidal. Yeah, but they, and did. Had attempted, they did all that. They okay. Well that. then it's not, that's why I'm seeing them in the first place. They're here okay. in inpatient already. Okay. Well then it's, I don't think it's your fault. I think if they, I think that, the person's fault who that might, who, whose fault that may be, if any, I think it largely falls on, on the person who is suicidal. However, I think that if the, if the attending psychiatrist showed like a poor duty of care and released them before they were stable or didn't release them into with a care plan, Again, I've been in this situation from the patient perspective. If they were released without a proper care plan, perhaps they needed to be in a partial patient or an outpatient, and the attending psychiatrist did not set that up for them prior to them leaving, then it's on the psychiatrist. But it's right. Not- but the but the drugs that we prescribe on the medical side, right? They can be most definitely you can kill yourself with them. Yeah, but and it's I've almost just, it's I've not just that given you my answer though. Yeah, I'm just I know, giving I'm just you the answer you the- as somebody that has been suicidal. The answer is if there's not a proper sure. plan put in place, it has nothing to do with the medication. I have 15 medications in my room right now that I could kill myself with. And I'm it's completely not the, with it's you. Not on, it's not on whatever doctor prescribed me those medications because clearly their presumption was that I needed them. Sure. If I did kill myself, it would be on, well, currently it would be on, on me. That's who it would be on. I mean, I don't think there's any use in debating, like, v- blame in the case of, like, I think it's really insensitive to even, like, have discussions, and, frankly, about, let me finish, about, yeah. like, <laughs> about blame in the case of suicide. I think it's kind of sick, to be honest, to be talking about it. But actually, I, it's, my it's, aunt, actually it's something I deal with daily, finish, though. Holy shit. Right? So. Like, okay, you deal with it daily. That's great. You have this, like, cold and uncaring a, a way of approaching it that is good for what you do but you're asking me and I'm telling you my answer as somebody that has had a lot of this in their life and I'm I gave you the answer you just don't like and, you're no, not I like hearing it, what my right? answer is I think is. it's perfect I think that's what everyone does that's what most doctors do exactly what you just said that's what they want to do I agree with you 100% so that's not what I'm debating what I was going to say is after the fact though the what oftentimes happens, regardless of doing everything by the book, so to speak, 
is that the doctors are held responsible either way. So for example, if I give a blood pressure medicine and that's the tool that was used, irrespective of how much else was done perfectly, it's not uncommon that families will come back to you and blame you for this. Like yeah, I'm just saying that's objectively what we have to deal with retrospectively. So in other words, does it make sense to they're, sue they're the doctor? Grief, they're grieving. It's like grief is not, grief is not a rational. Yeah. So is, is it okay to go, go to war with the doctor and sue them for your grief is the question, right? So I mean, war happens all like, the time. Let's then leave it up to the legal system to decide what was done correctly. It's grief isn't rational. You know, I think that a doctor would understand that. And so and but it's the not, legal system like, with jurors is not rational either, by the way. So usually in these cases, the, the physician will lose. It's okay. just what happens. I'm just saying that's why our malpractice. Then I hope you have like great malpractice insurance. I don't <laughs> I don't know. What to no, tell which is you. which is why we all carry such high amounts. Right. Yeah, I'm good. Yeah. Good. I'm glad that you have it. <laughs> but it's just normal for people to sue for these things that would otherwise be considered straightforward in your mind. Right. Like so what I'm saying is, is like the it's not so much that we don't care what happens or that we are blaming the patient or something like that. It has nothing to do with that. It's just that people are willing to go to war with you even if you do all of the correct things, that's just how life is. I mean, I think that a choice that you have to make as a doctor, um, to some, I mean, to some degree, you know, obviously patients have autonomy, but one of the things that doctors signed up for when they became doc doctors was dealing with difficult decisions of what's going to cause the least amount of harm. And so, you know, if you make a decision and you think this is what's causing the least amount of harm, then that's, you know, you got your degree in that. That's fine. But you know, you also have to accept there's a certain amount of responsibility that comes with that. And if people disagree with you, they're allowed to disagree and think that you made the wrong choice. That's why we have regulatory boards and things like that, that can ultimately determine what was the correct decision. And you can, you know, there's always going to be people that disagree. That's just yeah, the and, nature and, of life. And regulatory but, boards largely don't decide this. It's more court systems and it's juries, juries yeah, right. who actually are also yeah. generally emotional about it. So, but I mean, having rules in place and then, well, okay. I mean, if you don't agree with juries, then that's all, that's an entirely no, different no, discussion. I'll give, you, I'll give you another simple example. So we are mandated not to allow someone that has had seizures to drive a vehicle. You would, you would, you think that would be reasonable, right? You wouldn't want them to go out into a street and kill people, right? You don't want someone to have like questionably treated seizures and the they go out and drive and then maybe kill a family because they accidentally have a seizure like it's not under their control they'll just crash and something happens um is it reasonable to assume that number one there's no way to prove for sure by the way that i can prevent seizures in every single person that shows up right there's no definite way there's not even a really great way of deciding should you actually is it okay to let someone drive there just isn't there's no such thing so is it reasonable to even have this idea that somehow the physician's responsible for deciding if you can drive or not when we aren't the final arbiter of whether someone has a seizure and how many people they're going to kill or anything else? Like we're left with these kinds of issues all the time. And it's not so much to say that I don't mind the responsibility. I'm just saying that like the, there is a, it's a very difficult sort of like ethical choice to take away someone's ability to drive, which could affect their livelihood dramatically. Like I deal with truck drivers with various forms of sleep apnea and this and that all the time. And they'll be like, yeah, doc, I'm going to do this. I'm going to wear the thing and I'm going to do well. And then they have the potential to like kill a family with their 18 wheeler 
and we see that kind of situation happen from time to time, right? So a huge amount of regulatory stuff goes into it. But even still, it's nerve wracking to say, wait a minute, am I actually doing the right thing here? I really want to help this guy who really wants to drive. You know, it's affecting his job. He's going to be essentially jobless if I, you know, uh, don't help him. On the other hand, he has this like truck and he has a loan that he paid for this vehicle with. So there's the public good versus the individual good. Technically, from a physician perspective, you're supposed to be primarily affecting the individual's good. And the individual good and the public good is oftentimes not the same thing, which is another fascinating. Like, actually, actually, I would disagree with you there. I would recommend that you read Mandeville's Fable of the Bees because it actually talks a lot about private good versus public good. And usually serving the private good will, in, in Mandeville's opinion, um, actually bolster the public good. So I would, I, I don't actually think that that's necessarily true, that private good and public good don't necessarily go hand in hand. There's this theory that when you, you act, um, in your own best interest that you have the highest level of performance. And so that actually serves the public. So I don't, I don't think that that's fully true, but I also think, I think it just boils down to Sefi, like that's a decision that doctors make. It's, it's, I mean, sort of comes down to the question of, oh, should we be the people that are making these decisions on whether they can drive or not? Well, you either do absolutely nothing or you just do your job as a doctor and treat them and, and follow the like rules that are put in place for what you're supposed to do. So I think it's kind of like, I mean, I guess Which we can have we these, we, I guess we can have these debates over, oh, is it ethical for us to make these, these decisions? But the, <laughs> like the count, the, the other choice would be to do nothing. And the only reason I was mentioning this was because the original conversation was about intervention, right? And is it like, at what points is intervention more ethical than non-intervening? I mean, there's- Whether it comes to war or any other like thing, right? So you can see that how it's Intervention in war and intervention in medicine are completely different things because intervention in medicine is done on somebody- in well, it should be done on somebody in every single case that has consented to it. That's the big difference: is consent and autonomy. Yeah, but what if no one consents to their license being taken? Uh, that doesn't get taken away. We do nothing, and that eighteen wheelie has a seizure, crashes into twenty cars on the motorway. There's loads of explosions. You've just killed fifty people by doing nothing, and the doctor will be partially responsible for that. And that's the point Sefi's trying to make. But I, if but not, I, but I'm trying I, to track you I out. Just said. There's a difference in intervention between medicine and war. I think that there should be intervention in medicine to help p- people like fix their, you know, medical problems. Like, how is that even like what? And what's I'm, I'm only providing this these. argument like, is getting so damn convoluted because you're, you guys no, are just, trying to be I'm like, just bringing up like what about, what about well, no 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 let me finish. examples. You guys all. are trying to be like, well, what about this? What about this? Well, what about this situation? What about this? You're not going to trap me into this. I'm simply, I believe there is an innate morality. That's my opinion. I do not believe intervention it, like in, in foreign countries where it does not affect the safety of our homeland is a good decision. I don't think we should bomb little kids. I mean, like maybe my argument is not completely rational, but humans are also emotional people. And I don't think it's okay to be killing little children. That was ultimately my, my only argument here. Like, yeah, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to be dragged yeah, into these debates. Like, well, what about this specific situation? What about this yeah. one? What about this one? What about this one? That's not what, like, <laughs> like that's, that's not the point of, of studying things sure. like 
like philosophy and things like that. That's not the reason I studied it was to have little debates about these random situations that I'm never going to be in. It's supposed to be like an overarching view on, on, on life that should help you should help guide decisions. And I think I have a pretty strong sense of what that is for me, at least it doesn't have to be the same thing for everyone. That's kind of the beauty of, of a subject like that is that I remember people can have incredibly different opinions, even if yeah. it comes down to whether something is objective or relative. I remember um, back when like the second first or second Iraq war, I forget which one now, but um, I remember um, a very good friend of mine that was an Iraqi kid that I grew up with. Um, he's uh, like his family was actually advocating for the entry of the United States into Iraq and was like lobbying for it pretty much to like, because they didn't like Saddam Hussein and his whatever um, stuff. And it was it like it, this, it was an interesting thing because it wasn't like, all Iraqis didn't want Americans there. There were definitely people for whatever reason that did. Um, so like when people call for help, that's the other weird thing. Like which calls for help do you actually like uh, engage in knowing full well, by the way, that women and children are going to die. I don't think my Iraqi friend was interested in his own people having women and children die either. Um, like I don't, you know, it's not like they didn't know that like war was going to cause chaos and mayhem either. So I think there's like hawkish and dovish people on both sides of any, um, any and all of these kinds of weird conflicts that happen. And um, it's, it's, uh, it's interesting how wide that variety tends to be. Like, it's fascinating. Yeah, I think, I think if I thought that the US had um, pure intentions in going into, um, like, places like Iraq and stuff like that and going into truly try to help women and children, maybe I'd have a different opinion, but I simply do not share in that opinion. I don't think the U S has good intentions when they intervene in, in foreign nations, particularly ones that are not democracies under the guise of spreading democracy. Who's to say that, you know, like democracies half the time they go in, they destabilize the country. They leave it fucking worse off actually almost i would say 99 percent of the time that's the case yeah, and so i i don't believe that they're going in with these good intentions of being these saviors of women and children i mean they can they can fool some such a large percentage of the american population into believing that sure but that's not the actual case that's not the actual motivation my, that's all bs and so my father-in-law like, um, lived in iran um, he lived there for about eight years. Um, he was a surgeon there and he had sort of moved there. Uh, my father-in-law is Indian and he moved there from India um, with his wife. And then I think my wife had already been born at the time. And then um, she was left behind in India with her grandparents. But long story short, they, they moved to Iran and they were practicing there. Uh, beautiful like countryside. And like he tells really, really great stories of the people and like the, the how nice everybody is and everything. And he was really, really pissed off that like, because he was there right up until the Iran revolution. And he absolutely despised, like despised Jimmy Carter and um, this kind of like um, sort of like promotion of deposing the Shah of Iran, which, you know, he's like, yeah, the Shah used to like take radicals and stuff and just hang him or whatever. Or I don't know. He had these like, like, yeah, the, the, the leading power at the time wasn't a favorite of um, everybody. And like some of their methods were not particularly great. And, you know, clearly like 
uh, some suffering was happening there. But then, you know, like this idea that like the Iran revolution would then create a countryside of lesser suffering, which I, I guess, depending what's your opinion about what's happening in Iran, like whether that actually happened or not, he just despised this idea. And he actually escaped Iran around the time of the revolution. He's like, whatever, this is insane. Um, and, um, and, and left and did not stay to support either group or whatever the hell. Um, and uh, yeah, there's all these weird like scenarios where, yeah, like some interventions led to just as many problems as the ones that you thought you were going to fix, which is another, like, so you think you're going into like save the locals or save whoever and uh, promote whatever benefit. And the next thing you know, like all hell breaks loose and like unintended consequences. I think that maybe the actual soldiers going in might think that, but nobody in power actually thinks that that's what they're doing. They have ulterior motives for going well, in. Everyone and then has they motive, yeah fool everybody into saying oh we're doing it you know for these these glorious and and moral and ethical reasons and you're you know you know doing the right thing here that's never the case and i would say you said that sometimes you know after intervention you're left worse off i would debate every time after intervention it leaves it leaves people worse off in whatever country was um the victim of the i don't know i wonder if there's any germans here that like would uh, would like chime in about intervention from World War II, which was a massive amount of loss of American lives, like an unbelievable number of lives had to like take place for that. And I, I think there were people that in Europe that liked the intervention that we when got involved. And there's other people that maybe didn't. I think Europe would have been better off without any intervention, though. Look where Europe is now. Do you really think that American intervention was worth it? I don't know. I'm not sure. I don't know what the difference would have been if, like, you just left, I don't know, Nazis or Russians to do whatever they felt like. I have no idea. Well, the average quality of life, I'm not a Nazi, but the average quality of life would have been better for the European person. Things haven't got better since World War II. They've got worse. And the things that the World War II soldiers were fighting for, the freedom, the ability to own the land and, you know, have your family and have your life and, you know, follow those of the values of your own country. That's not a thing anymore. Like, we don't have any of that. Yeah, but if the Nazis had won, they would have exterminated an entire race, which I would argue is probably not a better option, and it wouldn't. Have, no one would have been better off. And if the Americans didn't get involved economically at the very least, selling us all the weaponry and everything like that, we would have likely lost that war. And then we would be well. In terms of personal freedoms, do you think uh, anyone in the LGBTQT community would be openly out right now? There'd be a thousand years or whatever the a thousand years of the Reich is what they were going for. I. I I, I disagree that it would be a, be a lot less child sexual abuse as well, wouldn't there? No, there'd be a lot less publicly documented and criticised sexual abuse, but it'd be covered up by the Nazi hierarchy, just like it was covered up by, you know, Jimmy Savile's hierarchy there. The only difference is if you speak out against a Nazi that's high in power, they'll kill you. Mm. I, 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 I personally disagree with the whole American intervention. Now, don't get me wrong. I think... Well, I personally think the American intervention was amazing because it kind of like created well, it was the forefront of NATO, which has probably prevented more wars than well, it, it's caused. But well, I mean, it hasn't caused any What's wars. Your but favorite, um, intervention of NATO. Say again, sorry. What's your favorite NATO moment? What's your favorite intervention of NATO when it's done a really good job? Uh, well, NATO uh, has obviously helped settle a lot of the. Uh, is, it, is it Rwanda? Uh, they, they've been involved heavily in Rwanda. The uh, well, the 
NATO have sent in, you know. Do you know how long it took for them to actually get involved with Rwanda? They knew it was a genocide for fucking forever before they got involved. Yeah, I I understand that. Constantly, (laughs) constantly they know about these genocides happening. And And you literally just said to do nothing. And now you're criticizing them for doing nothing for so long. Like, I'm just saying that I think it's funny when people are like, oh, NATO is so great because they're. it's not great it's a deterrent it's like having a nuclear missile against a nuclear missile it's it's just a deterrent like you know i'm not not saying they're the most amazing thing in the world i'm saying the world is safer in terms of like you know stability against war than it is like imagine if if nato didn't exist right uh and obviously united nation countries didn't exist like do do you not think they would have russia would have invaded poland by now do you not think Russia would have taken it a step further right. than Ukraine? Uh, just NATO a quick one. Is the uh, Western... Jumping into the conversation, and we're talking about genocide. Are we really? Are we, are we talking about genocide? A coach goes away for one day, and look how far we have fallen. What? The, what? What are we talking about? You're all arguing about what? What are you arguing about? I don't even know what's going on right now. Well, the tied to its love causes wars, and we all just love each other so much that we just have to argue a little bit. <laughs> I mean, I've already had my skin being like flayed off, threatened to me, Grover. So you know, it just is what it is. Hey guys, do you remember when NATO bombed Yugoslavia? <laughs> no, I don't. I wasn't paying no, attention. <laughs> yeah, I, I've never heard of that either. But like, I'm sure. You've got it some base for that. Crime. It was a big old war crime. And they called it humanitarian intervention. Well, there's, there's lots of things we should intervene. I have to Google in. that one. I don't even know. Can you share that with me, Sefi? What Grover yeah. just said. He's, <laughs> there's lots of things we should intervene in. <laughs> there are. Let's <laughs> not start this one again. 30 minutes. <laughs> Grover's in here intervening right now. That's what the whole exactly. Point. This is my intervention. He's like doing, he's staging an intervention to make sure. Yeah, like he's call like a me peace NATO. Broker, a little I Grover think, peace. I broker. just agree with Zara that I really I don't like I I firmly take the stance that I think that we should let countries do what they want and have their own national identity, and I think that that's fine, and we don't need to go in and try to quote-unquote spread democracy everywhere i mean like why does that like who is to say that i I don't know i just think it's ridiculous i mean if you look at all the criticism that's why i'm starting a kingdom where i'm at i'm just gonna like rule over my state as a king at one day i mean look at all of the criticism that italy is getting and as they say like the female mussolini or whatever like when you actually look at what she stands for I have I have a hard time finding anything completely wrong with some of the things that she stands for. She stands for, you know, God, country, children, family. And people will look at that and be like, oh, she's the she's the next Mussolini. She's the next Hitler. Like, it's insane. Just let people do what they want in their countries. And it's perfectly fine for countries to have this you know, national identity. And, and I do agree with, with what Zara was saying. I, I don't think I can say whether or not it would be better if there hadn't been American intervention in World War II. But some of the things that, that you know, the, the Reich stood for were not all, you know, genocide and, and anti-Semitism and things like that. Yeah, of course not. It ne- it's never always that black and white. Yeah, it's like easier to, it's easier to create like, a devil character for everything than sort of like get into the nuance of anything. 
I mean, in all fairness, and as horrible as this to say, Hitler was the only politician to keep to 100% of his politics that I'm aware of. So there, there is always that. And he did, even though, even though it was a horrible way of doing it, he did. He created a German prosperity. Uh, every German household was given a, a you know, holiday and everything like that. He created unity in Germany. Although he did some fucking horrible things to obviously promote that. And he did. I, I, that, I suppose that's the only positive I've got for that. Yeah. Yeah, he did 7 billion Jews. Yeah, it's from a historical point of view and political point of view. Yeah, he yeah, yeah, that's that's the only positive. Mm. I think uh, Hitler's policies to me strike me as somewhat unsustainable um, in terms of wanting to expand and and conquer the majority of Eurasia. That's, that to me is somewhat unsustainable. Uh, overall, I can't align myself with Hitler. I find that on certain points, I disagree quite strongly. Um, and I think that's probably as much as needs to be said. There's there's some nuance, but there's also like very glaring things <laughs> in Hitler's foreign policy and national policy that are probably yeah. not very good. Um, <laughs> so I think it's quite clear to me that it's a good thing that Hitler did win World War Two. I don't know. Yeah. That seems very clear. That's literally yeah. Thank you for speaking your truth, both of you British lads. I hope that one day we can all go down to the Weatherspoons pub and order a pint. <laughs> mm, I've never the, been to the, a Weatherspoons. To Addy's point, though, you know, like the United States sat out of World War II for quite some time. Like they could, they, there could have been like, and I was not born at the time, obviously, but like <laughs> the, the uh, Americans could have done something sooner, but then they would have been accused of doing something sooner. Like, why are you getting involved with? you know, X, Y, and Z. And no, so you almost have fucking to stayed out of it forever. That would have been the ideal situation in my, in my book. You would have had to prove that like, you'd have to prove that it was worth doing something. And of I mean, course, Pearl Harbor sort of proved that. Yeah. to some extent. But... I'm, I'm about to say that, Sefi, didn't they literally set out until they were attacked and then they decided, hang on a minute, right. We'll get involved now. Cause you know, all they were doing was supplying arms to the rest of the world at that point. Yeah. It was all like Monroe doctrine at the time. Yeah. And actually, the amount of arms being supplied were quite limited at that time. Actually, um, it made you guys a lot of money. World War II. No, it, it actually brought you guys a lot of prosperity, especially after like the amount of money you guys made off of like the arms shipments and everything. Like it was, uh, it was actually pretty impressive. Yeah, it's quite sad, actually. Technological advancement during war is 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 much much faster, and it's like this weird paradox where, like, a lot of the things we have now, like medicines and all sorts of shit, like like air travel and all the other crap that, you know, actually were inventions of war that spurred those quite substantially. Um, it's crazy how like much like battle ends up causing so much innovation, which uh, is good or bad. You call it what it is, but it's strange. Mm, much like the Astro Wars, Sefi, much like the Astro Wars. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Hey, Mo, what's going on? We kind of ignored Morad here. I don't know what like has any fun to say. Hey, yeah, I had some things to say, but I got a little busy here. Um, so I'll I'll step back and uh, that's cool. See if we'll I have any thoughts to killing Mo We'll just I'll just we'll stand here and discuss killing Morad while he goes to listener. Uh, what do you guys think is the the largest and most obvious uh, thing that we should intervene in, like North Korea or 
that we um, get this conversation this, this conversation about intervention let's intervene in it and let's talk about something else uh, okay you, yes. you arrived a bit late to the party grover we're kind of done with it now that yeah we've had it's a really been good going on for too long okay. points. <laughs> let's let's pivot let's pivot me and addy have learned sefi's uh sefi and chugger's uh viewpoints yeah. We're just Learn bad people. Never associate with them again on their low morality uh, basis. Um, I, if I have a lung disease, Sefi's not treating me. I'd rather die um, in case mm. he infects me with deterministic thought. I wouldn't want that. So um, we're going to talk about something else. Now. We're going to talk about our favorite city in Europe. Now, I am a big fan of Venice. What do you guys like? Mm, I really like Madrid. I haven't been to Madrid still. Sefi, have you, wait, Sefi, have you haven't been to Europe. You haven't, have you? You can no, go to Madrid. I've, I've flown through different airports, but I haven't actually spent any time in Europe at all yet, which I need to do. Yeah. That's what I'm that, summer. Does it have to be a big city, or can it be like a small city in yeah, Europe? It could be anywhere. It could be anywhere. Hmm. Avian, definitely not Guildford. Uh, Aviano in uh, Italy is beautiful. It's uh, it's right by the American Air Base. It's about a thirty minute drive from I think it's Lake. Uh, I, I can't remember what the lake's called. It's like Lake Garasia or something like that. And it's like a crystal blue lake at the base of the. Uh, I can't because it's it's by the border to the Alps. So it's it's literally just it's got like all the ice water coming down. So, and it's honestly one of the most gorgeous areas I've ever been to. Cool. Thank you for sharing. So this is in Switzerland. No, no, this is in Italy. It's, uh, yeah, it's called Aviano. And uh, the people there are just absolutely like, fun. like they treat you like family, even if you've never spoken to them. Like you go into a shop, like they're like, oh, you're from England. Like, and then they're just really nice. Like really, really yeah, I was, nice. I was thinking of Italy first this summer, um, like maybe a month or something like that. So yeah, I need to like, what is this place called? How do you spell it? Uh, Aviano. It's uh, right by the biggest American airbase, ironically, in Europe. Uh, I'm not, sure, I'm not sure. Is it Aviano or Abi? A V I A N O, I believe. Aviano. Okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and then my friend's got a house at the base of the uh, Dolomite Mountains, and uh, every time we go there, obviously it's just you know a bunch of us just getting drunk, having fun, like going down to the bars, like uh, just just having. It's just it's, it's a nice feel. Do you know what I mean? And uh, I remember last time I went. The day we went there, there was a thunderstorm striking the mountain right behind, and like I was just sitting there on his porch, just literally watching a thunder strike a mountain, and it was just a powerful image. That's all. Um, what if, what if NATO intervened? <laughs> what if they, what if they just carpet bombed? Are they going for, are they going for brunch or, like? <laughs> They're just trying to pull a Yugoslavia. They're just trying to carpet bomb it, and Chuck is going to be there, and he's going to die. So everyone yeah. in chat, <laughs> you're always wanting me to die. Can you not just like <laughs> stop? <laughs> they discovered an oil well in northern Italy in the town of Avienna, yeah. Avienno, um, and they really want it to secure value for the petrodollar. Uh, so they're going to carpet bomb the shit out of it, and then they're going to roll in with a bunch of tanks, and they're going to capture the oil well for themselves. They're going to lower a big straw from the sky. Big straw, and then they're gonna get like twenty soldiers to go <laughs> and all suck it up, and then they're gonna fill up their tummies with oil, and then they're gonna take it all the way back to America, and they're gonna throw it back up in a well. Chug, what it is is like because you have the profile picture of a man, and I have one of a boy. Nobody wants to kill a little boy, 
So that's why nobody ever says they're going to kill me. But like Chugs is always the. What do you mean? Like, nobody kill, wants to kill, kill little Chugs. boy. Nobody wants I've to kill children. I've already did the Chugs problem. Yeah, but Addy already did the problem as well about running kids, kids over. So she, yeah, she it's definitely only because would, you yeah. live in the U.S. If you go like go, go VPN from like Afghanistan or something, and then people will want to kill you. I promise. Um, what would you guys do if we were on a space and Chugs is he's he's sitting in this little Italian town or whatever, and then all of a sudden NATO, as Zara says, comes and starts carpet bombing him what would you guys do if he had his mic on and all of a sudden we hear all this commotion would you try to stop it or would you just like sit there and listen to him die no i'd leave the space i would leave the space and i would forget about it <laughs> thanks for that one eddie. just put me on the spot what would you do eddie what would you do go on from an ethical <laughs> point of view from an ethical point of view wait kill chugs or not kill chugs what's the what's the question no, would I listen to him die at the hands of NATO bombing his Italian town? The answer, I would go with Grover's answer as well. I would just leave the space. And then I'd go think about something else. And then I would come <laughs> on the space the next time we had one and I'd say, hmm, like, rest in peace. Or do you guys think, you know, that was, he was there. Do you think that's what was happening? Or maybe we would all pretend, like, similar to how you guys pretended you didn't know about the bombing of Yugoslavia. We I didn't just, pretend. I we didn't just pretend like I didn't we pretend. didn't know We just about had it. no idea. <laughs> oh, well. No idea. We're not pretending to be uneducated, Addy. We're just uneducated, so it's fine. Mm, there's a good bit of uh, genocide over in the Balkans, but I tend not to read about that. I don't really want to know. Um, but yeah, I think, uh, frankly, the intervention in North, North Italy by NATO, I, I support it. I think the North Italians probably wanted us to intervene, and I feel like uh, it's now better off having had this intervention. What do you guys think? I think if I'm sitting in that fucking coffee, I don't want to coffee house. I don't want to be carpet bombed, Grover. If I'm completely you're gonna realistic, sit inside a coffee. You're gonna sit inside a coffee. Is it a big coffee cup? A big Italian it, coffee cup full of espresso? It, it's the world's largest coffee cup. Is it a very good espresso or is it shit espresso? Because if it's shit, you're going to die. Wait, wait, wait. What if NATO wants the coffee? What if it's not about the oil at all? What if it's actually the coffee cup itself that they're That's after? That's what I was implying. If the, sh if the coffee's good and it's worth invading for it, then like, fuck it, let's go, right? Then what Otherwise... they're hoping to do is get out of that coffee cup because if they want the coffee cup, they can have the coffee cup. Coffee cup. They're not going to risk carpet bombing. Actually, I'd stay in the coffee cup. Because if they want the coffee cup, they're not going to risk carpet bombing the coffee cup, just the surrounding area. Oh. Are you from Manchester? What is your accent? Uh, I'm actually from London, but I've lived in Birmingham uh, and I've lived, oh, I live in Liverpool now. So I've got like a. Oh, I'm sorry, sorry, to, sorry hear to hear that. Birmingham and <laughs> Liverpool pick a struggle. Jesus. Hang on. Whoa, 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 whoa. Liverpool is probably the nicest city in the UK overall. So I don't know what you're talking about, young lady. Wait, I feel, um, I hear people make fun of Liverpool all the time. I don't really know anything about it, but I just feel like it's one of those places people make fun of. Oh, they do all the time. Yeah. Like, people from Liverpool, they eat cats and uh, they eat like rats in their little council houses mm -hmm. and the Chinese yeah. where are you from zara if you don't mind me asking I'm from china okay this, where this, is your UK. diet from where did you be raised from like what, what part of the uk i have nothing to do with the uk i just went to international school in hong kong um and they teach us this accent there because they know that english people are more respected than americans apart from addy obviously um grover where are you from 
uh, I was raised in a suburb of Stockholm called Jörsholm. Really? Yes, that's actually true. For real, for real? Yeah, uh, actually, no, genuinely, I spent like six years in uh, Sweden. No, nay, nay. So you grew up in Sweden, you don't speak Swedish? I, I actually went to an international school. Oh, okay, yeah, that makes sense. All right, thank you for speaking your truth. So why is it that the UK crowd is always ribbing each other, like based on where they're from, like the different accents and the thing, like, it's always just like, there's never like this, like, uh, clear unity. Everyone's just like making fun of each other. What's up with that? That's just fun. Just funny. Yeah, that is the unity. It's just banter. Like no one actually hates each other unless it's a football team. Like that's the, that's the only time it's not getting aggressive. What are, what are your guys' soccer teams? I, I don't watch football, to be fair. It bores me. I'd rather play it. Uh, yeah, just simple as that. But when I did, it used to be Arsenal. I don't really know many. I only know Manchester, Chelsea, Liverpool, and Arsenal. Yeah, my brother supports Chelsea. Um, I don't support any team because otherwise I would probably be a bit gay. <laughs> yeah, that would be a little bit gay. Um, I think it's really strange. I find it incredibly bizarre when guys in the u.s really are into soccer because or football whatever because it's not a big thing here and then especially when they like a team abroad i just really don't get it i've there's like certain bars in new york where you can go to that are like manchester bars or chelsea bars or liverpool bars whatever and all of these american guys will go there and gather like super early in the morning because of the time difference and then they're all drinking at like six in the morning or whatever and yeah it's just very strange to me i don't get it because there's you can't fans even... of like there's fans of like cricket like that too yeah that, it's like, really get together weird. And watch yeah i think i just don't get it because i've only ever like liked sports teams from where i'm from because you can go to the games i don't know just seems strange yeah, the uh, the Premier League is pretty much ubiquitous across the world. Like in whatever country you go to, you can find people who follow English football, which is hilarious because people in England, there's a good proportion that don't follow English football in England. So, for example, I was sitting on the back of a of a scooter uh, in southern Thailand, and uh, this guy was giving me a lift. And his name was Speed, and I said, "Hey, Speed, how's it going?" He said, "Pretty good." He asks me what team I support. I say, I don't really follow a team. Uh, who do you support? And he says, Tottenham. Really? Tottenham? In, in Tottenham? That's, actually, that's really yeah. interesting. It's quite oh, a um, London team, isn't it? Like, you know, it's... Hmm? They love it out there, man. They love it. They're all down there watching in the bar together, which is really, really, really weird. Wait, where is this? In Thailand? Uh, this was in uh, this. That was on Koh Lanta. That was an island in southern Thailand called Koh Lanta, which is not exactly. I mean, it's not that far off the beaten track, I guess, but it's not like easily found, I suppose. And they just yeah, they're just they're watching the Premier League on a on a television. Is is there some particular reason why this group got into this? Like some somebody that lived in England or something, and then moved back, and then like oh, brought it mm. home or something, or. Not sure. Not sure. They just. They just. I think it's all across Southeast Asia, as far as I know. But I don't know. Oh, and another thing. Like, are you supposed to say you just refer to everything as UK, or do you refer to England as like a different thing? Like, oh, or is okay. it inappropriate to say England, like, or something? Oh, I don't even know. It's a broad topic at the minute. 
Uh, at the minute, it's a British topic. They're like all of Wales and Scotland and I, well, some of Ireland want to devolve into their own right. like, nation. Well, again. They, they, shouldn't, they shouldn't want to do that. But the United Kingdom is Northern Ireland, Scotland, Wales and England. Uh, Britain is if you just cut Northern Ireland out of that because it's a separate, separate island. And then, well, yeah, obviously England is just England. So that's excluding Wales and Scotland, you know, the rest of that island. If that makes sense. And if you ever yeah. say to an Irish person, hey, you're from the UK, right? They'll probably be really offended. Um, yeah, very true. Yeah, because like people from outside, sort of like, it, it all seems like one big blob there, in a sense. Like in the, in the US too, it's like you have this like middle part of the country that's not quite Southern, not quite Northern. And like, it's not really clear what to call them either, which is, um, I don't know. It's yeah, it's a bit like Wales for us. I don't know what to call what to call them. The Welsh, Camru, isn't it? Cam Camru, I think. It yeah, is. exactly. That like when you ask for directions in Welsh, you just get loads of spit in your hair, and they're just it's just this disgusting language. North North oh, Wales hate the English. Place. South Wales don't mind the English. It's it's a weird one. South Wales is colonised by the English. I went to uni there, and they're all just um, yeah, they're all just sort of weird vermin. Um, <laughs> and you get to mid Wales and they're all sort of it's like they're from Yorkshire but worse they're like from Yorkshire yeah. without all the fun stuff and then you get to northern <laughs> Wales and there's no one there if you go to like Betsy Covet there's loads of people there but you have to go to like the seaside towns and stuff or oh, like Snowdonia they hide in the, in the hills there's a lot of them inside the mountains in Snowdon as well uh, they're not dwarves, Zara. Like, you, can't, you can't be saying they like sit in the mountains mm. and watch no, out. A lot of a lot of Welsh people actually live inside. Like so, originally they were mining coal, um, and they said, "Well, look, rather than leave the mine to to go back to our houses and to live there, why don't we just live inside the mines?" So they sort of carved out these sort of towns inside the hills, inside the mountains, and a lot of Welsh people stayed down there. There's actually entire communities that live inside mountains, um, and because they don't get any light. You know, they they sort of get a lot of a lot of problems, vitamin D deficiencies. Uh, they're a lot smaller than normal people as well. So this is perhaps where the uh, the origin of dwarf dwarfism and dwarves, uh, and maybe where Tolkien got his inspiration as well mm, for the Lord of the Rings. Yeah, 100%. Also, like because there are actually are so many lead mines in the south of Wales, it's funny because there's actually a special uh, name for. This isn't a story, by the way. This is just a fun fact. Um, they used to do trout fishing in the rivers. And they would be able to tell when there's a um, when there's a, a lead mine upriver because, and you can see it instantly if you're one of these trout fishers because they called it blacktailing. They would follow where the blacktailed trouts go um, because what the fin on the back of their backs it would be black if there was lead in the water. Um, so they could use the the fish to find the mines, which I thought was cool when they were leaking. Just a fun little fact, if you ever find yourself in need of some lead um, or lead poison trout, perhaps. So we should actively seek out places where we can eat lead, which would be cool. Yeah. I, did a, I, did, I drank some lead water this summer and it was really sweet. It was quite nice. I think it would be nice to bite into a big hunk of lead. Yeah, it's like soft. Something about it just seems really appealing. Soft and sweet. Mm -hmm. I feel like it tastes like a, a pencil. 
I think pencils are made out of gravite now, aren't they, Seppi? Yeah, but I still think it would taste like a pencil. Just because, like, in my head, I'm like, you remember, like, you have you put your pencil in your mouth when you were a kid? Yeah, I mean, back when yeah. pencils were made out of lead. Yeah. Or it had something in them. Um, how much lead would it take to really, like, affect you, Seffi, like, as a physician? Not a lot. <laughs> Not <laughs> a lot. Oh, no. Okay. Like, less like, than I, one pencil's worth? I don't deal with too much, like, lead on any regular basis, except wearing it sometimes for... I have to wear it, like, in a jacket. Like, if I'm in a place with a lot of radiation. Yeah, I see. But otherwise, I don't really, like, I don't really eat it or deal with, like, lead poisoning on any regular basis at all. When you've worn those jackets, have you ever thought to yourself, I want to rip this open and take a big bite out of it? I think everyone thinks that for a little while at least, right? Because it's like, I'd like to see what's inside this thing. I want to put this in my mouth. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm pretty sure. Sh- yeah, I think everyone thinks that at least once. I mean, I'm starting to understand why Addy decided to turn uh, antacids into like a regular snack now. <laughs> yeah, I think I just, I have a lot of like, like a, a compulsion to just put things in my mouth. I don't know. I just really like chewing on stuff, like sticking stuff in my mouth. I've, I like, I, like if I could, I always want to like stick a wine glass in my mouth and just chew on it. I've yeah, even looked into too. there's some some edible glass you can get so I can get the feeling of chewing it. Mm. Um, well, Addy, were you breastfed? Because I wasn't, and I I think I'm like that because of that. I think I'm yeah. I was through. I was not. So I think that yeah. that's my issue is that I just yeah like I right, well both of us we neither of us were so we need to find like some sort of like primordial mother like we need to find like yeah. a cow. You know, I even um I even saw I was seeing this therapist once and she even said. She said, I don't think you got enough attention during the oral phase. And that's why you have all of these, like, these things manifested. She, she was very Freudian, um, which is why mm-hmm. I really liked her. But I totally agreed. I was like, yeah, I really think that I was lacking attention from the mother in the oral phase, literally and, and spiritually. So now it manifests in a lot of different ways in my life. But I also really like putting things in my mouth. <laughs> well, I have like this big pencil and I got this like expensive, like colored pencil set. Like these really nice ones, and they're all just chewed to shit. <laughs> like they all just like have they look like a bunch of little beavers have just been like because they're just destroyed, and it's really embarrassing. Because I can't like when my friends like if we do me and my friends do an art session, I like kind of hide all my pencils. <laughs> I'm sitting here while while you're saying that, and I'm I'm laying in my bed, and across from my bed is my desk, and I have all of my pencils and pens and I'm looking at them and I'm like, Oh, I really want to get one and just stick it in my mouth. Right Actually, now. Addy, I was, I was looking for a gift for you. I was like, oral chewing, sucking gift kit is what I typed into Google. Cause I, I couldn't figure out how to like search for this. And, uh, there's the sensory chew necklace for boys and girls, four pack chewy <gasps> necklace teething. There is, um, let me see what else is in here. There's, um, Okay, like Love Honey Oral Sex Stimulators, wide range of male sex toys. Okay, mm. um, let me see what else is in here. Um, how thumb sucking, sucking can be detrimental. Oh, 15 best gift baskets for 2022. I don't think, I don't know why that popped up. Oh, the word gift maybe. Um, fabric chewy bands. Mm. Um, I, I think there's that. like, I think there's like something, maybe we could like, it's probably you could market something like a kit, like a box that has like, little slots in it and you pull out different things that have a different like chewing texture one would be like something hard one would be something soft one would be like so you know 
Like, I don't know. Not, There's got to be a product here. Like, traditional dog, dog toys, like pretty much market. I need like a, a Kong, like those dog toys, those like heavy duty dog toys, but for me, like I just need to be able to chew on it. <laughs> Um, sometimes I'll even notice, which is strange because I was never really like a thumb sucker, but when I was younger, I used to suck on my hair because I would get really anxious and I would stick my hair in my mouth and start sucking on it. Um, I sent a message to Bruce earlier that said, basically, okay, well, I didn't used to do that when I was younger. I'm literally going to scroll back and find it. I said something like, this has made me very nervous. So now I'm going to suck on the the hair in my hairball that I live in, <laughs> um, it gets soggy and wet and I just keep going. I said something like that. And it's, I think we're really like all five, five aligned right now. <laughs> that I brought that up. I used to do it so much that my teachers would call my parents and they'd be like, I think there's something wrong with your daughter because I'd have just like chunks of hair in my mouth and I'd be sucking on them <laughs> during the day. And then I'd have soggy, wet, like strands of hair was pretty disgusting. I don't do that anymore, but I do. Sometimes I'll just like be sitting there doing something and then I notice that I have like a finger in my mouth or something like that. And I'm just like gnawing on it and sucking on it. And it's really quite strange. <laughs> I probably look like a freak, but yeah. Adi, thank you for sharing your truth. Honestly, I feel like, um, I feel understood. <laughs> yeah, there's something comforting about having something in your mouth. There's got to be a gift box that can be created of some kind. I'm sure of it. Like, just imagine like, like food every gift boxes. <laughs> interesting texture, right? Like that you'd have like in a little kit. Imagine, I think of it like like a wooden box with, you know, like how you would buy like maybe a fancy set of like forks and knives or some shit. It comes in like a box, like, you know, like, like a set of watches. But instead, it's like these things that you can like have different textures that people like to stick stuff in their mouth that can like try out one by one. <laughs> And then put it back in the box neatly when you're done with it. There was a kid when I was in middle school, and obviously I have some issues with chewing stuff and everything, but he would eat pieces of paper. Like, he would, like, take out a piece of lined paper from his binder or his notebook or whatever, and then he would just eat it throughout the day. Like, he would eat probably, like, I don't know, a quarter to half a piece of paper a day. He would just sit there chewing on it. It was so strange. But he would swallow it, too. Yeah, weird. there's definitely those people. Yeah, I think I don't. I think if a lot of people know someone like that, it's weird. Eating paper. Yeah. What's the weirdest thing you guys have ever put into your mouth before? I mean, every time I go to the beach, I tend to like put rocks in my mouth. It sounds like a retarded shit post, but it's like a. It's just kind of fun. Like I tend to. You no, know, I've done that before, and I like sucking on them. Yeah, you get the salt, and also like, but you gotta be careful that you don't plunk it too hard against your teeth, because I like getting like meaty bits, and and then boom, like you know, my teeth are getting all scratched up. Like I gotta be careful. Um, I also ate a bit of seaweed that I found at the beach, um, which you really shouldn't do, but I did it, and it was alright. I didn't even get sick. Um, and I eat a lot of random plants. I ate some, yeah, but I'm always fine. Like, nothing bad has happened. So, I don't know. Just listen to your heart. I feel like I haven't lived enough because I haven't eaten enough weird shit. Like, now that you're making me think of it, I'm like, 
And I maybe am prudish about this idea of like eating things and maybe I have to try some shit like that's completely random. Maybe pick something off the ground or something. Mm. I don't know. It's it's like something's I feel like I'm like maybe in not experiencing life to its fullest somehow. Mm. Rocks maybe or or maybe like just sucking on different types of leaves, maybe. I don't know. Um, did you ever like bang your head on a table as a kid and then you got so angry at the table that you would like bite it? Wait, sorry. I was reading something. What, what did you I'll say? Have to, I'll have to think about that one. <laughs> I don't think so. I just remember one incident when I like, I was like underneath a table. I don't know why, like as a child, like a small child. And I banged my head on this table. Mm-hmm. I got really angry with the table. Like how the fuck, what the fuck, how could you do this to me? It's like hitting it, and then I bit the table as hard as I could. Um, and I just remember that as as a as a specific uh, incident in my life, biting mm. biting that table. Yeah, sometimes you're just overcome with anger. You just have to bite something. Sometimes I'll bite my boyfriends if I'm upset. I'll just give them a good bite, and then you know, um, uh, yell like, and say, "Why did you bite me?" And I'm just like, "I don't know. I just had to." There's certain there's certainly something satisfying of biting your way all the way through like um, a type of eraser or something, you know how it's like, like where you're you go all the way through it and your teeth meet on the other side, <laughs> and that's not good enough to just chew it. It's got to go all the way through. <laughs> yeah, I do like eating erasers and gnawing on them. Oh, hey Ben, have you chewed anything interesting lately? You guys are very weird, so um, I'm just listening. I'm fascinated by your uh, your experiences. I haven't chewed anything as weird as you guys. You might be surprised. We might have to do like a little meditation to like bring it out of your memory. There's got to be something, right? I'll have a think. Come back to you. I don't know, Addy. I, I think, uh, I don't know, maybe I have an unusual fascination with like, I don't know, um, I do like sucking on boobs, for example, Eddie. Like, this is—I don't know—is that—is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? Is that like? Do you find that that's the norm? Is it the um, like? If I some people like extremists said this. I think every single man does. I've never met one that hasn't. Hmm. Is it because like uh, like what is the like mental framework that makes it so like pervasive, like so normal? Hmm. I don't know. It's kind of, it's a little strange when you think about it, I guess, but I guess it's not that weird. Um, I don't know. Could be something Freudian. I think that there's just sort of a level of comfort to them that a lot of men like. Um, I don't know. I think that, the, yeah, there's just like something that reminds you of probably, I think there's some, some, something Freudian to it. But not in a strange way or anything. I just think it's more like it goes back to the comfort of the mother. And mm-hmm. you have this physical manifestation of it on every woman's body. What's the women's version of that, though, then? You think there's, like, something um, that common that is, like, uh, mm, on the flip side true of women? No, I don't think so. Uh, not, uh, not sexually, probably not, I don't think. I don't know, though. I mean, well, I'm trying to... No, because I think that this is something that's incredibly unique. Like, women are the only ones that are able to, um, you know, 
like it's like it's I mean it's like the actual life force you know come like you nourish a, a baby from there so I think that there's some level of this desire for nourishment and comfort that doesn't leave the body um but it doesn't reflect in women like the same way onto men because there's not something similar I think I mean I guess the only thing that I could think of would be well not sex not sexually but I guess some women search for men that remind them of their fathers in terms of somebody that feels safe and provides comfort but I don't think that that necessarily manifests in sex so or not always yeah my, I know my uh in in my instance like my wife absolutely prefers and demands uh demands it um and actually finds it um like mm, i don't know she it's just something she likes so it's like that's it is what it is like do you prefer it or do you or not or do you are you uh do you not care either way mm, i don't really care either way if it if it's something that like my partner wants to do that's fine but i don't like it's the, I don't know, but I think that that also just comes down to people have different like erogenous zones and stuff like that. So for me, that's not particularly one of mine. So it doesn't affect me either way, but I don't yeah. like, I don't really care yeah. if they do it. I don't really like, uh, I don't really care if my partner wants to, to bite on my, uh, my pecs, uh, either way, it's not really something that affects me and, uh, they can suck as long as they like. Um, not much is going to happen. So it's, it's really, you know, whatever, whatever they, whatever they enjoy really. Yeah. It's just ticklish for me. I don't care for it, but she likes it a lot. So, you know, I'm happy to oblige. It works out nicely, uh, since she wants it and I'm ready to give it. So there you go. <laughs> so it works out really well that way. Thank you for sharing that, Sefi. Just <laughs> we were talking about oral things. I thought maybe we would go there. Anyway, but <laughs> so Grover, what kind of uh, garbage do you put in your mouth then? Not for a woman's breasts. Like, do you prefer paper or maybe plastics or lead? Mm, that's, a, that's a great question. Uh, well, apart from biting tables, um, what what do I put in my mouth that's unusual? Uh, I don't know. Probably like an unhealthy amount of caffeine passes through me. Uh, what do I, I mean, like, that's not really even relevant. It's not a weird thing. You'd so you're making me want to go make some coffee while you, just cause you said that, that's just, so I'm in the same boat. Yeah. Yeah. Total addiction. It, I, people say it's like an ADHD thing. Like, Oh, I need coffee to focus. I need a Red Bull. I need a, I don't know, something high caffeine, um, just to sort of function. I don't know if that's true, but it's definitely a crutch. What what let's go to addictions? What addiction? It makes me feel like it's just like I like to pass the time with it. I don't know why. It's like it's like when I don't have it, it's like this gap where I don't feel like I'm passing the time doing something useful or something. Like it just I don't know. It's just comforting to have it. Yeah, for sure. It's like "Mm, when should I get up? This when should I get up today? Oh, you know what? There might be some coffee. I'm going to get up immediately to go and make that coffee. Like that's what gets me out of bed. The thought of having caffeine. So I'd call that a uh, a crutch and an addiction as well. I don't I don't wake up to needing it. Like I don't I, like if I skipped it. If I went to work without it, um, I, I don't necessarily notice. So I don't know that I'm addicted to it necessarily. 
it's just like, but the moment I think of it, I want to go ahead and get some, but not necessarily like if I miss it, I'm going to notice some sort of body change or like where I can't stay awake or something like that. Or, and if I drink it, even right before I go to bed, it, it affects my sleep. Not even a little bit, even higher doses, you know, espresso shots, things like that. They just don't affect my sleep at all, which is also, um, I don't know why that is, but. Oh yeah. That's, that's unusual. Are you sure you're not buying fake coffee? It's possible. <laughs> Although caffeine's not exactly a, an expensive thing. <laughs> but yeah, it's... I'm it's, pretty uh, sure um, the ability to sleep after drinking caffeine is a pretty good thing. Cause I think it's when your liver can't really metabolize it that, that you um, get like all pin, like, you know, you, all buzzing and adrenaline max in and you can't, and you can't sleep because um, it's staying in your system. But if you... So I think like women usually have it worse because they've got like a bit of an estrogen logged liver or whatever um whereas like my dad's always like most mediterraneans have a coffee before bed um my dad does and like ask any italian or spanish person you know and they will as well like i think it just it also just depends on the size of the person and how they how they've drank in the past yeah my, my wife's definitely having a harder and harder time sleeping uh, and she definitely will not touch coffee before bed. It will keep her awake for sure. So she's, she knows it and she just avoids it at that point. So it's like I'm drinking coffee alone in the evening pretty much because of that. If I, if I feel like it at all. Thanks for checking out another episode of The Ether. That was part one of a two-part Chepe Space, initially titled Love Causes Wars, and ending titled Europe and Stuff. Recorded on Sunday, October 2nd, 2022. For TerraSpaces.org, I'm Finn. Thanks for listening. And if you want to keep listening, head on over to TerraSpaces.org slash donate and show some support. When we blow through the dust, volcanoes erupt. No one ever guessed that the game would be tough. Keep a hands off when the play is a bust. Plain old and just, so we keep it on the one. Blast off on the two. Help me see the three. Third eye open wide, checking out the scene. Laser beam focused, star scream jokers. Living off the fat of the people they approach. Tell me what happens when the land fights back. With the cliffs at our backs, make the last stand matter. No one ever planned for the famine on deck. We was walking all erect with the dead man swagger. Sitting in a little den. Vision in the middle, men listen to the fatal man play a little ditty, then talk about how all the leaders seem reptilian, lost in the maze, trying to make the next bubble billion. Talk about how all the leaders seem reptilian, lost in the maze, trying to make the next bubble billion. Little den envision in the middle men Listen to the fiddle man play a little ditty Then talk about how all the leaders seem reptilian Lost in the maze trying to make the next No one gave a shit till the drugs all dried up Everybody died from a bad batch of Lysol But it didn't matter we was all hyped up When the pedal lit the metal he just didn't have the right skill Watched in the daytime till the night curfew Rats in a cage till they make time to murk you Got a little job that falls under my purview We gotta get this mob away from the birds do. Gotta find cover. Wipe off the bird poop. Ride off the work while you try on the worst juice. Blinded by perps who try to reverse truth. Slide like Fox News just trying to lie to you. Eating up the slop like a bunch of hungry vagrants. I can't wait for the day they lock us up in stasis. Mock up a basement. Could call 
me resilient Waiting for the internet to make me a b-b-b-billion In the middle men listen to the fiddle man Play a little ditty then Talk about how all the leaders seem reptilian Lost in the maze trying to make the next B-b-b-billion Talk about how all the leaders seem reptilian Lost in the maze trying to make the next B-b-b-billion Terror spaces